Let's go down to ringside. The following podcast is scheduled for one episode and is our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Outside, we couldn't see it from our vantage point. fans and welcome back to our vantage point the retro wrestling podcast here for episode number 119 on february the 25th 2019 happy monday to you i am joe Morata. that is michael quinn how you doing there michael howdy doody and happy 119 there you have it folks the tradition continues here as we continue to romp you through the world of retro wrestling we have one more show this show until the finale so we got a couple of things to do in terms of the royal rankings uh we'll also be reviewing something but before we get to any of that i just want to remind you to please follow us if you haven't yet on twitter at ovp podcast you can also email us at ovp podcast at gmail.com that is vp podcast at gmail.com but the number one place Quinn, to interact with you and me and a bunch of other retro wrestling fanatics is over on the facebook group michael yes over at facebook.com slash 119 it's a good website it has a search bar you type in our vantage point dash retro wrestling podcast and over there when you hit the search right we come up kaflui kaflui it's the series of tubes the, yeah the internet oh, is a series of tubes. the operator's standing by no cod's yep you hit join and you're in and then you can post giffies and jiffies and whatever they cl- maybe there should just be a debate over if it's a gif or a jiffy yeah like, we can have that one actually uh dan lopez why don't you get on that one uh post about anything retro wrestling related you know whether you've been a fan of wrestling for you know 30 40 years like some people have Maybe you just started watching more recently and started digging into the older stuff like some of our fans have. No matter what your retro wrestling background is, you are welcome to our series of tubes. Yep. If you're newly digging in, don't watch Mega Matches 95 because that looks like a piece of shit. (laughs) It sure does. So more info on that and a bunch of other crazy topics over on our Facebook group. And of course, if you want to donate, if you want to donate, you can do that at patreon.com slash OVP podcast. Right now we have out on the $5 tier, the WrestleMania review. Yes, WrestleMania. And we're no, we're not talking about this year's WrestleMania. Oh, no, not I, last year's either. I saw somebody on Twitter and I think they got confused yes. because they thought Wrestle, when you put WrestleMania preview right. as a free sample, they yeah. thought you were talking about the current no, WrestleMania. That's no, not, no, no, no. That's not. We're talking about 1985. That's right. That's the year that the first WrestleMania took place. Yes, and it is. And you can listen to us review it. Yep. Awkward Alfred. And, yep. Girl you know, Monsoon. Gino Monsoon, I should say. A lot of Gino, a lot of T. Yep. A lot of wonderful. Back when he had an arm. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And uh, right behind this episode on our main feed here, there is a free about 12-minute preview if you want to check it out. But anyway, Patreon.com slash OBP podcast if you want to donate. We'll have some more info on that later in the show. But Quinn... We've been doing downfalls all season, the downfall of various things from retro wrestling's past, right? We've a talk- lot of things fall down in <laughs> wrestling, right? Including the uh, the Shockmaster. The right? Yeti. <laughs> I, don't I don't know if he fell, but uh, he probably he, did. He walked he down. Walked. And we've talked about the Ultimate Warrior, a bunch of different things, a jobber squash matches. Last year, the true babyface, or last week, I should say. Ah, yes, the true babyface, as opposed to the false babyface. Right. And this time around, it was my pick, Quinn, and I wanted to talk about... <laughs> Because you know I have a lot to say. 
Yes. The downfall of the New World Order. Or odor. New World Odor. I, I have to admit, before we get started here, I might say odor a lot by accident. Well, it's Larry Zabisco's fault, obviously. It really is. Because I guess when he walked into Bruno's yard, he smelled that New World Odor, if yeah, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of odor, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the NWO. Obviously, you, you know what that is. If you know if you know this show, you know what the NWO is. I'm not going to lie. Now, would you say, Joseph, that yes, that Michael. is the hottest angle of all time? Because oh. a lot of people say that. It's tough to say. I really don't know. It's probably one of the in it, North America. Yeah, it's a really big deal. Like it's a it's yeah. a very like monumental milestone yep. thing that happened in the world of professional wrestling. Yeah, no, it was a great idea that Eric Bischoff got from Japan. Japan. So basically, just a very brief history of it, because we've talked about it before, and I don't want to focus too much on the history. We want to focus on the downfall. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Scott Hall appears on Nitro May of 96. You people know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here, right? The Mauler blah, blah, blah. was mauling his opponent. Right. Yes. We are taking a look at the Mauler completely maul his opponent, Steve Dahl. A couple of weeks later, Kevin Nash, look at the adjective. Yep. Look at the adjective. With a hat on, and, and <laughs> with a hat, and a right? Polo shirt or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah. They promise a third man, blah blah blah, to fight Luger, Sting, and Savage at Bash at the Beach, July seventh, ninety six. Yep. Luger gets taken out of the match early. <laughs> Savage and Sting have like major problems with Hall and Nash. Well, like they, they look like a couple of wusses. They had never really fought them. <laughs> I mean, Savage had. But fought both of them. It wasn't Savage gone from WWF by the time. Fought well, both he of fought them. Big Daddy. Diesel and oh yeah, in that ninety two Survivor Series match, so. he knows. Yeah, that's uh, true. He should st- he should have been better at that. He should have been. That's weird. And then of course, Red and Yellow Hawka comes down after being missing for a few months, and Bob- that's when the who side is he on? Right, happens. Bobby Heenan blows it. Some people say, yeah. And Hulk Hogan turns heel, says we have this brand new stable. It's the New World Organization of Wrestling. Yes, and then very shortly, it was the New World Odor of, <laughs> right. of Wrestling or whatever. And the New World Organization of Wrestling, brother. Hulk Hogan is now a heel. Huge deal, obviously. He hasn't been a heel in 15 freaking years, yep. practically. It, it's kind of the basis of why people to this day are like, why doesn't John Cena turn heel right. or something? Or like, Roman and yeah, all that. Yeah. It flipped the wrestling world, at least in North America, on its ear because Hulk Hogan had still been playing the same freaking character since 1983. And now all of a sudden, he's a bad guy. Yeah. And not to mention, by this point, he's a big household name. This oh, is, yeah. It's not like the early days of Hulk Hogan. It's like, no, there's Hulk Hogan Cheerios. People knew all this bullshit. <laughs> he's like, in movies and shit yeah, by then. Yeah. He was just a recognizable figure. In fact, a lot of people saw wrestling as Hulk Hogan. They saw, like, sure. that's what Hulk Hogan does. Absolutely. Even if they didn't know what promotion he wrestled for. Right. You know, they so, probably still figured WWF. Right. So that's how, how you have to understand if you weren't around then. Like, yep. that's what the magnitude was. It was like, this is the guy that people recognize as wrestling. Yep. And now he's a bad guy. And right. he's got two former WWF guys with him. And he himself, of course, is a former WWF guy. And what they do throughout the fall of 96 is they bring in to the NWO a bunch of other WWF guys. So it started out great. You had Sean Waltman. Ted Diabetes. Ted Diabetes as yep. Trillionaire Ted. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, the giant, okay, WCW guy. And then well, we you, st- gotta, you have to have a couple of defectors, sure. right? I mean, to make it seem like a real right. thing. But then we start bringing in people like Mike Rotundo. <laughs> Michael big, Wall Street, you big, mean? Yeah, Big Bubba Rogers. Yeah. Virgil as Vincent, right? Yeah. And it gets to the point where by the end of 96, going into 97, 
There's like what twenty people in the fucking yeah, NWO. Like Scott Norton and Buff Bagwell and right. shit like that. Like, and just to continue the quick history of it, and then I want to talk about yeah. why you know what went wrong. Basically, right. uh, the whole crux of the angle is that they were coming to take over WCW, correct? Right. And that's what they tried to do. They would storm the broadcast booth on Nitro. They would take over things, cause havoc. Remember the time they like totally like took down the Nitro like yeah, entrance right. and like put like an NWO thing or whatever. Yep. Remember when they had a pay per view and there was like bat women on motorcycles or something and <laughs> yes. I, don't, I don't but i mean like even though that that was bad like the point of all of it was to again emphasize the like they're taking over right, right. they have a shitty pay-per-view they take over nitro <laughs> they like, their own ref even like they pay for time in the middle of saturday yeah, night and right. like have matches against <laughs> right. jobbers like it, it all all of this happened this is all this is all true a lot these are some of the details people forget actually like that whole like nwo saturday night thing yep. I, nobody ever talks about that it's true like, you're right but it was real this is nwo saturday night and eric bischoff of course was with them so they had a lot of power and then this thing just keeps going on so it's the same fucking thing by the end of 97 into 98 now finally there's problems within the nwo and we splinter off into the nwo wolf pack and now i know for sure i just added two more guys to my wolf pack and the NWO Hollywood. Now, I want to say something, and I know some people like to call me WCW Defender. Yes, you are. In 97, at least up till the end of 97, mm. which is every, it's debatable. I'm not going to relitigate the whole fast count, all that shit. No, I know. We both agree it was bad. Yeah, it was bad, but Say whatever. Say it. Anyway, the thing was, is that this thing was still hot. We can't deny that. Right. In 97, at least like it, it was still like a very popular thing. It was hot. You, it was begging saw, for a payoff. You you saw NWO shirts in your in your local public school and uh, <laughs> around the country, across the nation at Toys Absolutely. R Us. And, it was and a very good Kids R Us and any place where they had T-shirts. Yeah, there was JCPenney. JCPenney. I mean, like this thing Flea was markets across this, America. This thing was big. I, I don't want to give the impression to people who maybe weren't around then that like by 97, like everyone in wrestling was like oh nwo sucks and it needs to go like nobody was saying that. no one was except me at home but i wasn't i was part of the minority right exactly but in 98 is when they kept it on fucking life support which was cool for a bit we've talked about the wolf pack the red and black you know nash led that with sting and luger and savage and a few other guys uh and the hollywood was still hogan's thing right Right. now we're going over the history here but like yeah. yeah but as we're getting closer here like this is the time where we need to discuss like why is this like shitty okay there's several reasons, and and the NWO would peter out by the end of '98, be resuscitated yeah. in '99, peter out again, and then we have the NWO 2000 with Bret Hart yeah. and Jeff Jarrett and well, Scott we'll, Steiner. We'll get to, that, we'll get to but... that. Here is my first problem, Quinn, and I want to ask you. I like posing questions to you because you usually do have thoughtful analysis for okay. real, and you think of things that I don't. Wasn't the whole fucking angle too long? By the time we hit Starcade '97. Isn't that too long? I don't think by Starcade 97 it's too long. I think after Starcade 97 it's too long. You really don't think that a year and a half is too long without a payoff? Well, in this very special case, I thought that this angle, like, it was the company and it deserved the amount of time. Like, I think a year and a half was, like, a perfectly, like, especially with WCW having their WrestleMania at the end of the year. Like, that was a perfectly, like, acceptable time frame. You didn't find it repetitive and boring after a while? That's why my Not main... Not through 97. I mean, that, really? 
Because what the NWO did, especially for Nitro in 97, is that it was a factor in why I was changing the channel back. Because I was like, what's the NWO going to do next? Like, are they like because they they set this precedent that every week, like they were going to do something really outrageous. And that didn't and that didn't seem like old until like basically they were giving up, dropping the hints that ultimately they were going to face Sting. That's when it was like, okay, let's get on with this and end it. But Quinn, what were they doing in 97? Didn't they just come out every week and talk for a long time? Am I missing something? Isn't that no. all they literally fucking did? But they, they're, they're all the like ancillary people also were in feuds too. If Who you cares? Like, I'm just saying that there was this, there was this constant, and if you go back and watch them, there's this constant on the show like, this reference, like especially by Shivani, it's like they're battling for supremacy, and every match matters. It's like even if Vincent fights like some jabron, yeah, like but that's just hyperbole. Queen. I no, understand that, knew that didn't matter. But when you're a kid, you're not thinking about that. You're, I was. I, well, you're a smart kid. I don't know what to you're say. You're a smart kid too. Yeah, but I was. <laughs> I was on board with this. I thought it was so cool. I thought. For, okay. I thought. Fine. Especially when you have right yeah. the WWF on the other channel, and you have the NWO. Even though they can't say it, I mean the veiled like thing is that the nwo is wwf why was wwf always winning that's fucking stupid well that hey that's a problem i'm not gonna lie but then there maybe that was a good idea and i'll say this because Mm. when we got to luger beating hogan that time august of 97 because wcw was always getting beaten down that's when that made sense like it it worked like you were so happy right like you know what i mean like you brought that up there's reasons Good. why you have these guys dominate, Good. like because of things like that. Glad you brought that up. Yeah. Why did they do that? And then they fucked up the whole Sting thing at Starcade. Don't you think that hurt it? Don't oh, you yeah. think that hurt it though? I'm not going to say it didn't hurt it. Shouldn't that, the NWO have been done after Starcade '97? Like, isn't that enough? Here's the deal. It kind of made sense in a weird way that Luger would lose the title back at that point because well, they screwed him. And yeah, in that point in time, the NWO and I actually. Sometimes I think to myself, maybe Luger winning it and losing it back was to emphasize the fact, because they, they like to harp on this, that the NWO by hook or by crook would figure a way out of it. And that's why they right. were so hated. So you had to, at some point, have Hogan like lose it and then fuck over the guy and get it back to kind of like, oh, man, I this guess. sucks. We can't beat them. Like kind of take them down in the dumps. To me, that's like the center point of like the initial run, that point when Hogan loses it. Okay, I, I understand the point you're making. I just yeah. think the whole thing took too long, but nevertheless, I think we can agree to disagree there. That's fine. Yeah. Now, the, the length on it, just to be clear, though, that for mm. a um for an old school promotion was pretty regular, and a year and a half, year. Like, I mean, Bob Backlund was a champion for like eight years. That's like, a totally different thing. What you know, are you talking about? I'm just I'm just it's making the point. I, it was more of an old school approach to it. But the problem here is that school was out because yeah. it got so old. It was like a night school approach to yeah. it. <laughs> now we're harping on the length, but here's, I am. Yes, you're here's not. the thing: is what else, What about the just the amount of people in it? I know that's well, like always a, a, okay. a point of contention for yourself, right? So not only did the length uh, for me personally kind of just water it down and, and stretch it out too much, and the heels were always winning. It just got old. The, it went from being a group of elite people like Hulk Hogan, <laughs> yeah. all in that. Even even if you want to count Giant Macho six, Man, Macho Man, like big name guys, right? Yeah. Mike Rotundo? Yeah, Vincent? I know, I know. Scotty, no, uh, Marcus Bagwell? Yes. When he came in, I mean, uh, eventually he was okay. To me, but... that more contributed to the downfall than, than the do. actual huh. length. I thought the length was fine, as at least for the initial run. Like, That's I, what she said. Why? Having, like, people like Buff Bagwell always bothered <laughs> me. I was like, really, this fucking guy? Well, like Scott Norton. Yeah, like. And I like him, too, yeah. but. 
But it was just like, what are they even doing here? Right. Like, like, what is the point of this shit? And like, one of the other angles that really bothered me with it, um, the Steiners, and, like <laughs> one of them joining and the Scott, other one not. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, fuck them. Like, I don't even like them. I don't even want them to be in the NFL. <laughs> like, no, don't say that too loud, Quindle. Yeah, Ignite another debate. Sorry. <laughs> like, and, but it's just like shit like that. And the other thing was too, is like, there seemed to be a precedent set that if somebody feuded with the, the NWO, like for more than a month, they would end up turning and becoming <laughs> right, an NWO. In the NWO. Yeah. I know, it was horrible. Yeah. Now, let me ask you about the Wolfpack here. Another, do you think that that contributed to watering it down, if nothing else? I know the Wolfpack was cool, and I liked them for a little so, bit. So, I'm glad you brought up the Wolfpack, because this is one thing I have to give WCW credit for. Okay. One thing that we, as fans, tend to not look at is, like, what the business was, and... To be fair to like WCW as an organization, NWO stuff was still selling like hotcakes even in the end of ninety seven into ninety eight. Like, I agree. Like if you're them, you're like you can't be like, well, we're just gonna never mention this NWO thing again. Sure, right? Like, no, totally agree. Like, Between that and the Austin stuff, those are the two hottest pieces of merch I'd so say. So I actually think it was somewhat creative to split the NWO in two from and a like, marketing standpoint. From a marketing standpoint, and now you have more brands and shirts and shit I had a to red sell. And black shirt right exactly well, on one hand i thought it was dumb that like sting and luger but you get to see like there's a baby <laughs> face like nwo conan and all that yeah remember? and there's a there's a heel nwo right. and that's kind of a cool idea and then you got wcw is kind of the wild card in all of it yeah the putzes that no yeah. one cares about except like booker t and no, chris but, jericho but a lot of it at the beginning the way they booked it was smart they had wcw wrestlers taking advantage that sure. there was this like like nwo black and white would fight like a wcw guy but then right. like an nwo red would take a cheap shot and yeah. like the wcw guy <laughs> got the one up you know what i mean yep now what do you think of the nwo 2000 and folks just a quick refresher that was vince russo's idea when he had come in in late 99 he wanted to revive the nwo build it around bret hart whom he rightly felt was underutilized by wcw right. for two years when i went to wcw i tried my hardest to put Brett back in the spotlight and back in the in the spot that he deserved to be, because when, when he was under Bischoff's thumb, I mean he was just another wrestler. I agree in that context. I don't know that an NWO relaunch that was silver and black. They call it. I don't yeah. know that that was needed. NWO two thousand. Yeah. Millennium NWO. Yeah. I think whatever was it was. Name right. For it too. Scott Steiner was in it. Bret Hart, uh, Jeff Jarrett, and some other putts. But well, I think one of the, its main problems was Jeff Jarrett. Well, it's because he never drew a dime. He broke 6,000 guitars, never drew a dime. I always mess up the timeline here, but did Brett get hurt while that was going on? Yes. Okay. He got hurt in December of 99, and Vince Russo was let go in January, and then they pretty much let the angle fizzle out. I don't know. Jarrett take a lot of command of it, but Brett was injured, or I think Steiner did. Honestly, really, Big Papa Dump should have been like the head of that after Brett. I guess, but I think it didn't need to exist. Yeah, maybe. And there were different permutations of the NWO after that. Obviously, Vince injected a poison uh, in yeah. 2002. Now, I always thought that was kind of just funny. It was like, funny because because it, it was more Vince saying like NWO ruins everything. <laughs> like, yeah. like, and he's like, I, if I can't like win against the faces right. as the owner. I'm yeah. going to destroy my own thing. That's weird. Like, That's because Ric Flair owned half the company. Yeah. Remember? So, so the idea was like, well, if he owns part of it, if I can just fuck up the food, like he'll just get out because he doesn't want to yeah. deal with this shit. Like, I mean, I like that they brought Hogan back. Yeah. That's the best part of that angle. I thought the Hall and Nash was going to be great. They were old as fuck. Yeah. Especially Hall just what looked the, terrible. By the way, like 
we weren't that far removed from WCW. Like, what happened to them in, like, the last two years? Like, I know Scott Hall drugs, but why did Kevin Nash, like, look like shit, too? I don't know. He was okay, right? Yeah. But not great. Yeah. Uh, and then, obviously, TNA, they did a variation of it called The Band. Yeah, Remember because they, they didn't own Correct. NWO, but... And that was it. I mean, here's my thoughts on it. I think it was an unbelievably hot angle and very entertaining for about the first year. And that's it. That's your personal thing. I think I cut up, it off for I think up after to a the, year. Up to the Sting feud, that's like, it's that to me, it's iconic. Yeah, and then they fucked it all up. I know. But that's it. I mean, the Wolfpack stuff was fun, but whatever. I say the Wolfpack stuff was a was, was an interesting like yes. diversion and like a, a nice little like idea, and it didn't really last that long to be honest with you. Six months maybe. Yeah. Do you think Quinn that it could have been better than it was had they handled the NWO differently? Had they handled the way they dragged out the feuds and storylines and the Sting thing? I, here, here's what I've always thought: really, the way to end it was to just segregate them, and there should have been like Thunder or something was NWO only. But like, why do they have to still exist is what I mean. Because like, the brand, the brand name was so hot. Like, even in 98 when Thunder came along, maybe, to me, that would have been the best I idea is to split them off and, like, make an NWO show and a WW show and just say, like, they don't interact and, like, that's cool. Hey, and that could be the I, end. I, they, maybe they lose some match where it's like, NWO can't be on WW TV anymore or something. I like, guess, Quinn. I just think it went on too long is my biggest problem, and they watered it down too much. Those are the two reasons for the downfall. One final question, Quinn. We can ponder this with you fans as well. Let us know on Twitter. Uh, you can email us or obviously join the group. Could there ever truly be something like the NWO? I know the Bullet Club. A lot is of people similar. like to say that. Very similar. The problem with the Bullet Club. A little too raff. Yeah, a little too raff. The problem with the Bullet Club is that it's also like an indie vanity project for a couple <laughs> of wrestlers. And like, I, it's. I'm sorry. Like, that's what it's becoming. Like, and. They're, they've just ruined it. Like, they've taken something started by, like, fucking Finn Balor and, like, like mm -hmm. Tonga and all them. Yeah, yeah. And, like, all of these stupid people, like, came in and, like, just were like, we're going to, like, take this and we're going to make money out of it and never mention that it wasn't even, like, our idea. And also that it's owned by New Japan. Yeah, anyway. right. Like, <laughs> like, it's fucking bullshit. I think the short answer is no. I don't think yeah. there's ever going to be sorry. another NWO. I, sorry for no, no, the no, side no. Rant, no, it's a like, good. Yeah. That's a good explanation. I think the short answer is no, though. Right? I mean, yeah. that was a. I think that's a once in well, a century WWE type of thing. Well, if WWE wants to do it, because technically it won't be they, good. I'm just saying, technically, they own the NWO. Yeah, but name. it was shitty the last yeah. time they did it in 2002. It's yeah. not going to be good. Well, you never know. Again, I never say never on the, these downfall. I know like, Yogi. come back yes. only because tomorrow never knows. Yeah, only because it's like I think they could sell NWO shirts to this day. Yeah, but they don't need to. They could just have Hogan or Which Hall they, or Nash trot out. They did at, like, WrestleMania a few <laughs> no, weeks no, no. ago. No, no, no. I'm saying, years like, ago. having, like, a new generation, like, just new guys, like, say, like, NWO 2 or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, like, NWO 2. NWO 2. Just yeah. leave it at that. That's great. <laughs> or 2.0, whatever. Secret of the ooze. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, let us know what you think of the NWO. What were the... Did it just run out of life? Did it run out of gas? Did it go on too long? Maybe not long enough. Could it have been better, or was it as good as it was going to get? Let us know. You can do that on Twitter, at OVP Podcast. You can email us, or you can join the group and let us know there. But, Quinn, when we come back, it's knit and it's grit. It's four guys left in the kiddie pool here for the uh, Royal Rankings. We're pulling two more out. Royal Rankings coming up right after this.
following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. Zabisco, Bisco, Bisco. Oh, oh, oh. You don't want none of me, me, me. You couldn't even be easy, Is this too good or what? Has been paid for by the New World Order. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for being with us here for episode number 119 here on February the 25th, 2019. 119! Thank you, Quinn. Uh, Quinn before we get to the Royal Rankings, just another quick reminder, folks, go check out patreon.com slash OVP podcast if you want to donate. We have a few rewards tiers there. And like we mentioned, the latest thing out on the $5 tier is the WrestleMania review. Next month in March will be the Wrestling Classic as we go through every WWF pay-per-view in order once a month. Wow. The Wrestling Classic will be an interesting one because I've only watched that show in full, maybe and, once or twice. Now you win that car, yeah. don't you? If you, if you win that tour, I wonder who's going to win. With that lady with the uh, tablecloth the dress. The tablecloth dress lady. It'll be a good time. I don't think you win her, but... No, I don't think you win her. Yeah. But again, folks, if you want to donate, if you just want to think about donating, check out patreon.com slash Podcast. We do have some cool stuff available there. And obviously, if you donate at any level, you'll unlock the previous back archives of other rewards from yeah, the last year and a half. Back yes. archives. Yeah, back. All right, Quinn. Well, we're Stand back. We're back to the Royal Rankings here. The Royal Rankings, folks, if you're just joining us for the first time, is where we take submissions from you, the fans. And this time around, it's greatest announcers of all time. 20, 20 only, make the pool or the pool, the as pool. we call it, right? And then what we do is each week, and you can see this on the raw video on Patreon, we randomly pick, and it really is random, yep. two names, and then we talk about them and we rank them. So right now what I want to do is run down the current rankings as of last week, as of episode number 118. Let's do it. At number one, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Bobby the Brain. Bubsy. The Wizzle. Yeah. Number two, Jesse the Body Ventura just by a hair. That was a close one. That was a real close one. Number three, Tony Schiavone. Quinn. Tony Schiavone. Controversial because number four, what? Lance Russell, which I, I, I would flip them. I think it's very fair. Well, science, you know. Yeah, I mean, Schiavone. Schiavone's called, good. Called the NWO yeah, yeah, and all that. Yeah, that went on too long. What? What do you mean? <laughs> number five, the newest uh, top spot here, I guess, like the highest new one from last week, Vic McMahon, Quinn. Yeah, Vic. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, he, he did do, he's the successor to Ray Morgan. Um, <laughs> yes, he he's been a, He was around for a while. Yeah, a long time? I, I think sometimes to this day, he'll pop in every, every now and then. Every now and then. Number six, Joseph Stiles. Yes, Little Joey. Little um, Joey. All did, by himself. Doing very well. Yeah. Number seven, remember King? Yeah, King. <laughs> I'm, hey, King the Proud, number seven. Very proud. Number eight, Mamma Mia, Mauro Ronaldo. Somehow King got higher than him. <laughs> I know. He, he, King must be good. <laughs> number nine, Old Cheese voice himself, <laughs> Mike Tanay. How is Old Cheese in the top ten? <laughs> it still annoys me. It is kind of annoying. <laughs> you, you get annoyed about the Lance Russell deal. I get annoyed about Cheese being at number nine. <laughs> but, you know, science. Uh, number ten, rounding out the top ten, is Bob Cottle. Kindly, grandfatherly, yeah. and very number 10. Yeah. Eh. I like him, though. I do Again, like him. science always works against him every time. Yep. And starting at number 11, who here is who did not make the cut. Paul Heyman, mm-hmm. Taz, mm-hmm. Michael Coe. 
Michael Coe. Lord, good. his lordship. His lordship. I'm, I'm surprised his lordship isn't above Michael Coe, but... But he is above Sean Mooney at 15. Yeah, Sean Mooney. <laughs> the Gooker, set for action. And Jim Cornette rounding it out at number... And I do mean round at yeah, number 16. The forest is listening <laughs> to Jim Cornette right now. So that is the Royal Rankings as of last week. Without any further ado, let's go to the Fink. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the Royal Rankings. Yes, sir, we promised you a great main event here tonight. Rhodes touch Sherry first. His name's Fred Katal. Silly name for a Japanese wrestler, Fred. So we've got a great matchup here. His eyes are closed. He can't open them. It is the Royal Rankings week number nine. Number nine, Quinn, only one more week after this. This is really getting hairy. So this definitely means, like, no doubt the Duke is, is oh, going to yeah. be this week. It's going to be Duke's time to shine. Yep. Uh, folks, we have run down the top ten. Mm-hmm. We have only four people, four possible people left, maybe including the Duke. Possibly. So, possibly. Maybe and, Rob Bartlett. <laughs> oh, God, please no. And we are, just a quick refresher here, we are taking a holistic approach, Quinn. Very whole, very-istic. Very scientific, yeah. meaning it's not just technical ability, it's the grand scope of an announcer's wrestling ability, their career, their accomplishments. The best of the technical and the high-flying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. The, their, so, uh, I got it. Their legacy, things like that. I gotta be refreshed every week on, no, the, on the ground rules. You we know? absolutely do. Uh, totally for me, especially. Uh, I know, Quinn. Yeah. So, I guess without any further ado, why don't we all find out? The world has been waiting. They have. Who drew number 17? By God, it's time to go to Hosky. Oh, man. Straight from the Pule, Quinn. It is Jim Ross, a name I've been waiting for. Because it was inevitable that JR would make this list. Inevitable. Like the Duke, obviously. Clearly. Yeah. Now, JR, Jim Ross, is regarded by a lot of people and probably many of our fans. Yes. And maybe even you and I as one of the greatest wrestling announcers of all time. Soundtrack of the Attitude Era. Absolutely. One of the all-time greats. Yeah, definitely. Clearly. I love JR. Like, I, I really think he's great. I really do, too. Here's the thing with JR. Mm-hmm. He did this for a long time. He was a lifelong wrestling fan. Big fan of Danny Hodge, too, from what I understand. Yeah, I remember Watts. he like fell off a bridge and fought a bear right after that. <laughs> yeah, with and a then, broken like, neck. Yeah, and then body slammed him in a river and then walked 50 <laughs> miles afterwards. Yeah, April 1st, 1957, Danny Hodge was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He was also the first man uh, and the only man to ever win the NCAA uh, Wrestling Championship and the National Golden Gloves Boxing Championship. Cool. What right. the fuck was with all I that Danny know. Hodge shit? Like, <laughs> he crushed a lot of apples, too. <laughs> did you hear Danny Hodge, like, that apple-crushing shit? Yeah. Did, did you hear, like, he once did that in front in of, Senate. like, the Pennsylvania Senate yes, or something like that? I did, actually. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Why did that need to be done? Well, I don't know, but JR sure liked it. And yeah. Jim Ross worked for Bill Watts or the Mid-South Wrestling 
in the 70s and into the 80s, and he established himself as their main play-by-play guy by the early 80s. And you know what? Even back then, he was really good. Roop has reversed the leverage, and now the leverage is on the leg of Ted DiBiase. DiBiase's face, I noticed in a monitor, look at the, the contortion of DiBiase's face. He is at the hands of Roop now with his figure four. He was in the vein of a Gordon Soley, meaning a yep. straight shooter, straight lace, called a lot of moves, you know, kept the, the, the play-by-play going. As a, a WF fan, I like to think of him prior to coming to WF as the gorilla of the South. I guess I really would call him like Gordon Jr. No, though. you're right. I'm you just know? saying like as far as that role. The as magnitude. Like the, the head of that yeah. kind of thing. Because he was Mid-South's guy until 87. Right. Mid-South fizzled out, UWF by that point, and he joined Jim Crockett Promotions kind of quickly. Was he acquired because of the UWF buyout by Crockett? That is a good question. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. I, I would imagine so, because he I, loved Watts. I would assume that's how he became into contact, at the very least, with Jim Crockett uh, Promotions. With JCP, yeah, I would yeah. imagine so. So, previously, you know, you would have had a lot of Gordon, you would have Shivani and David Crockett on Jim Crockett Promotions. JR joins the mix in 87, quickly works his way up to be their lead announcer, yep. especially with the exodus of Tony Schiavone in 89. Yeah, with Schiavone gone, um, it was JR's time to shine. Drop toe by Flair. Steamboat reverses, goes behind Flair, comes back with a hammerlock. And I'll tell you what, I like WCW JR. It is a different sound. Uh, both his literal voice is very high-pitched. I think he's... And a different style. He's very basic at that point, he's though. He's good, though. He's already. good. Already. I remember him calling the Robin Green stuff and things like sure, that. Yeah. That's that's kind of the the early JR yeah. I've seen at least and he did a good job of making WW Saturday night especially when it was like revamped seeming like <laughs> with, a, the, with the Bill Frelick version. Yeah, the one with the <laughs> with the talk show set yeah. and all that. But at the same time he did do a great job of making it seem like a sports program just like Gordon. Yeah. Meh. Oh. I, I, no, I'm just saying Gordon's a little more showy than JR was at that point. JR a little didn't more get, polished. JR didn't get his like fancifulness yeah right you know like his like showmanship he was a straight shooter though yeah he, and he was damn good at calling play right. by play and he worked well with a bunch of partners dare he, i say he was kind of like tanay at first like more Tanae, like though. better but i'm just saying more like technical i guess maybe yeah and then in 1993 in early 93 he gets into a dispute with turner wcw and he leaves and vince mcmahon brings him in for the first time yeah to replace gorilla monsoon as their main announcer meaning the stuff that Vince didn't do. Yeah. Because Vince was still doing superstars in Raw. Right. But Gorilla was doing challenge and would do the pay-per-views for the most part. Gorilla was getting old. Gorilla was getting old and had been doing it a while and just wanted to step down. Well, so he needed to become president. True. Too. The he election, was in training. The elections were coming up. <laughs> yeah. He was campaigning. Yeah. And uh, JR then called the uh, WrestleMania 9, called King of the Ring 93, replaced Gorilla on challenge. Jim Ross along with Bobby the Brain Heenan. And then was relegated to Radio WWF for the rest of 93 into 94. So, the one big thing you always have to talk about with JR is that while Vince hired him and was very excited at first, yep. um, he wasn't um, slick boy number 17. And No, he's and, fat and southern. And, and it's true. Vince could never accept this. Yep. But at the same time, it's like he begrudgingly knew JR was the best. Right. And, Vince went out of his way to fuck over JR like so many times. Several times. Yeah. So in January of 1994, JR, unfortunately, and I'm not trying to be funny about this, has his first bout with Bell's palsy. A couple of weeks later in February of 94, Vince lets him go. Which Vince saw as a great excuse to get rid of JR. Of course, right? JR then flounders on, uh, well, I don't want to say flounders, but he, he goes down to Smoky Mountain for a bit. And then something interesting happens, Quinn. 
Vince has the steroid trial in the summer of 1994. And first it's like, okay, no problem. Have Gorilla replace him. Hence Gorilla at King of the Ring 94 did some Raw. Unfortunately for Gorilla Monsoon, on July 4th, 1994, Joey Morella is killed. Right. Gorilla needs time off. Plus, after that point, Gorilla didn't give a fuck. After after Joey died, no. He he didn't. didn't care. So what do they do? They call up JR, and JR comes back for a few weeks. Most notably, the Bret Hart 1-2-3 Kid match from Raw in July of 94. 1-2-3 Kid has to use the ropes to pull himself up. Catching Bret Hart coming in. Omar, look at his kicks. And a, oh, he caught him in the face. However, Vince gets off scot-free, beats the government. Yep. Kicks not, JR to the curb again. run the company out of <laughs> yep. jail with, like... <laughs> Jeff Jarrett's dad yeah, or whatever. Capone. Uh, what was all of that? <laughs> I don't That's, know. I don't want to Jerry get Jarrett that. was going to run the company <laughs> from like, Vince direction from jail or something. <laughs> and uh, JR gets kicked to the curb again, comes back finally at the end of 94, is basically just like a pre-show interviewer and does some Cindy's until finally. So insulting. Right. Like, really. Finally, at the end of 96, he is back on the main broadcast team once and Good. for all. And that turns into just JR and King by the end of 97. Now, when does that whole, like, JR comes in and, like, they, they rehash, like, the him being fired, like, as an actual angle? That's like, when, isn't that right near there? That is when he brings in fake Razor Ramon in September of 96. Right, where he and turns that's when heel. JR just came back. Well, just came to Raw. Yeah, he, exactly. he had been there, but he right. wasn't a I main just mean announcer. Like main announcer, yeah. yeah. And then we have the great era of JR and King during 98, 99, some of, uh, and then 2000, 2001, Heyman, blah, blah, blah. And JR is their main Raw announcer all the way until, and pay per view. To me, this is the most important time. This is yes. when JR, like, cements, sets, in, cements, cements himself, sets yeah. in stone that JR is, like, an all timer. The all time great top announcer for WWE. Yep. This is probably the best time in his career. Yeah, from about 1997 until he is unceremoniously traded to SmackDown for Michael Cole. Like, unannounced. They don't tell him. They actually did the fucking trade, and they did it on the air. JR's like, JR's calling the the draft. And I'm standing up. It's all real. I'm I'm drafted. Standing up. Wow. He almost quits over that. Right. Uh, and, and, then, and then remember they on SmackDown, they <laughs> make him dress up like a baby sailor or something. I, I don't know what Vince had against him. This was another attempt. I swear to you. This was just another fucking attempt in the 2000s after JR is like established as the best thing ever right. to like get him the fuck out of there. I know. What and the fuck? Like every at that point, Joe, literally every single person who watches wrestling is like, yeah, JR's like the Gordon Solier gorilla of our time. Right, like, no, much. like there is nobody in the universe other than Vince McMahon that that has a problem. That has a problem with I know. him. Like, and what he was? What the fuck? I know. He lingers until the end of 2009 uh, as a full timer, and then we would only see him occasionally, including somewhat recently. Yeah, as a fill in w- when King went down with his heart attack. Yeah. Should we also note that there was a time while Jr. was co- like on commentary that he was also the head of something talent, talent relations, yeah, executive talent. vice president. Yeah, that was uh, I believe 95 or 96 until 2004. 
Which is a long time. It was so a long time. Jr. had like clout. By the time yes. Vince was trying to like depose him the second time, Jr. Yeah. was like the second in command of the company. Something uh, up around there, yeah. And, and a lot of people like were really behind him. Yeah, no, people like Jr. Yeah, uh, and that was his announcing career in WWF. And then he uh, had a much ridiculed uh, New Japan appearance now, or two, where he so- compared everyone to like Bruiser Brody. Okay, so he did do that. He did do it. <laughs> it wasn't ridiculed at first. At first, it was like, oh, this is nice. Jr.'s back, and I thought that. <laughs> Like, oh, he's just going to need a couple months to get used to, like, know who all the wrestlers are. Like, in in the meantime, he's just going to use his ass knowledge as a crutch or something. But he never got better. Yeah. But he's also old. He's also old. And I commend him for um, kind of sticking in the game when his wife died and stuff. Like, yeah, he started he started working again during that and like people were like please jr work like they wanted him like just so he'd have something to do and yeah. take his mind off of it and he was okay during that time too I, yeah i feel for him there yeah. jr the announcer and obviously more when we get to ranking time but jr the announcer like you said the soundtrack of the attitude era called so many fucking good things yeah. during a hot period for wrestling uh he made everything feel important he'll never he was so good he's at a point where like now that he's not working for Vince, he's at a point where, like, I think even Vince just respects him. Like, I mean, I'm sure Vince always begrudgingly respected him. Right. And I just I'm all I'm saying is, is that like Jared's at a point where he's like in all time rarefied error. If Hall JR, if J, whenever Jr. passes away, like there'll be a whole to do like, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like he is like, you know, a pillar of right. the world wrestling entertainment. And rightfully so. Yeah. Jr. was a, a fantastic announcer. He had a knack for not only calling the play-by-play, even in the Attitude Era, right. but for also using the right expressions and the right emotions given what was going on in the ring. He could build context during a match. He could give you something emotionally to get invested in. He I was fantastic mo- at that. most important to Jair's legacy is he was the guy that called Stone Cold all the way to the top from I think, beginning to end. I think that's a great point, Quinn. Yeah. I mean, his iconic call at WrestleMania 14, that's the one that people probably, one of the top calls of JR. Also, of course, uh, as God is my witness, he is broken in half. Yep. You know, stop, somebody stop the damn match. It's, I, I associate mainly two wrestlers with JR, and that's Stone Cold and Mankind. Yeah, like, and McFoley, yep. Yeah. But he made you feel connected to these right. people. What was kind of cool also about JR, you can correct me if you don't think this, but I always think of JR like how people associate Mean Gene and Hulk Hogan. They associate JR and Stone Cold. Yeah, like they, I agree. They go, they go hand in hand. I agree. Like, no, they're, they're tied together. Right. JR did a lot from behind that microphone to put over a lot of these younger rising stars during a period of time where the WWF needed that. Right. And I'm talking the Monday Night Wars. It was JR behind the desk putting over Austin and DX. And pretty much anybody. Everyone. JR was always a big cheerleader for the newer talent, which was something that was, that was a very like, hard initiative for the wwe because they they had lost all these veterans and like they really needed a guy like jr that was gonna like ream it into like your earlobes like that this is the real talent of wrestling like this is this is the hottest thing going you're watching the number one they're in the prime of their lives like jr and we had a point too and we make fun of jr about the athletics and stuff like that but he really like mixed that in that the guys you're watching aren't just like a bunch of slobs like they're they're the they were the number ones in the sports that they played and blah blah blah. like these these are like the best you got in my opinion jim ross did everything a good announcer should do and i'm saying that from a fan perspective you know Mm -hmm. not from a employer perspective did everything a good announcer should do 
and then some. You know, he right. just had a, a very distinct yeah. way of working. And, you know, one other thing I want to mention, too, it's like we keep talking about this. He, he puts the guys over and stuff, but he also had that relationship where King... Yeah. So that you then you kind of that carried over the the kind of relationships that Gorilla had with Brain and Jesse. Yeah, and definitely. Like, so like that relationship with King was to me that was the entertainment part of Jr. The, oh yeah, because he was great with King. The them bickering and and Jr. kind of always making fun of King when he would like oogle over the yep, women yep. and stuff like like stuff like all these goofy things mm-hmm. and then like even the fact that they. I know a lot of people don't like it, but once they had like a rapport with each other, even the like times when like sometimes real life would interject and either JR would get sick or King would get sure. sick or King would get in a dispute, they would like back each other up yeah. as like friends. They were a duo. Yeah. And they're still great friends to this day. And I yeah. think that's really nice. Yeah. So that's Jim Ross. That's number 17. It's now time to find out who drew number 18. History is made, Wow, Glenn. this is... Oh, oh this is a jam-packed episode here. Oh, boy. This guy... Gorilla Monsoon. I'm going to... Okay, I'm going to say it right now before we even rank Gorilla. Yes. I'm not going to say where he should rank, but sure. I'm going to say that he's like Hulk Hogan of wrestling announcers okay. to me. To me, personally. Now, Gorilla, for the most part, is beloved, but he has a lot of detractors, and it's okay. People, it's ridiculous! People can like what they like and, and dislike. It's okay. Give me a break here! Gorilla Monsoon was first and foremost a wrestler yes. for like a very long time, from like the early 60s, late 50s until 1980. He once fought Muhammad Ali or whatever. He once airplane spinned him, yeah. Did he ever like fight an animal like a bear or a kangaroo? I, no, that's not that's some Stu Hart style. Okay. Well, he was up in Stampede. That's why I'm just so you never know. Yeah. He uh, debuted as Gino Morella, and then he was Gorilla Monsoon for the rest of time. Yeah, <laughs> from the 60s onward. Yep. He was always Gorilla Monsoon. Now, Gorilla the announcer. What I like about Gorilla the announcer is <laughs> even when he was still wrestling, he still he sounded like he was 60 already. This guy doesn't know wrist lock for wristwatch. How can he get in there with a wrestler? All he knows is throw a few lousy jabs. That's not going to stop a wrestler. Yeah, he's very <laughs> grandfatherly. And he wasn't old. Yeah. He wasn't old at all, yeah. <laughs> he was like 45. I think it was just his sense of humor was very like, I don't know. It was of very, its time. It's of very his time. of its time and... I don't want to call it folksy. It's more like... No, it's not folksy. It's more like that, like, New York, New Jersey grandfather humor. Yeah. Like, like that very, like, Northeast. It like, is North... It's not folksy yeah. like a Bob Caudill or a Lance Russell. It, it's... Give me a break. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's more sarcastic and yeah. sardonic, you yeah. know? And Gorilla started announcing in the end of 1982... Uh, around November, I think, was his first house show. Not on TV, mostly on MSG. With MSG, yeah, yeah. with Vince. Well, I guess that's on TV, but on not on the syndicated. cable or whatever, yeah. Right, and he did a couple of them with Vince, and then he was allowed to be the main guy. He had Vince with him, and then Vince passed it off to Gorilla. Welcome, everyone, to jam-packed Madison Square Garden as the World Wrestling Federation brings you another night of outstanding professional wrestling. This is Gorilla Monsoon. I mean, if you're Vince, right, when you first owned the company, how nice was it that they discovered Gorilla that early on, like a guy that can just handle himself if Vince didn't want to take a show? Yeah. Gorilla Monsoon could do the whole thing rather easily for him. And really, a company man, a guy you can trust, you know, at one point had been a one-sixth shareholder in Capital. Vince McMahon bought him out. Yeah, bought him out, promised him lifetime employment. As part of the Vince Sr. selling the company. Correct. So you had Gorilla Monsoon and... 
he was their main announcer now on MSG for right. 1982, 1983, into 84, which coincided with the Hulkamania era. Yeah, Gorilla was always associated with Hulk Hogan. Um, yes. That, you know how I said Gene was associated with Hogan? But as far as the guy who was on behind the mic, behind right? the mic for the matches, it's always Gorilla Monson. You know, the greatest professional athlete in the world. Yep, and- absolutely. The greatest professional athlete in the world today. Look at him. There was all these gorilla-isms, like, about I mean, everything. Yeah, yeah, gorilla had a ton of phrases, a ton of catchphrases, too many to name. Yeah. And obviously was uh, their main mic guy, besides Vince, who did, you know, superstars, from 1984 until 1993. Wow. Gorilla did Long the time. entire Hogan era. Yeah. And I, did stuff afterwards, too. Don't get me wrong. There's so many things to love about gorilla that I feel like we're, like, compressing it. It's hard to, to really enumerate all But if things. I had to compress it into like two eras of Gorilla, there's Gorilla and Jesse on yep. pay-per-view and like Gorilla and Brain on pay-per-view. On pay-per-view. And TV. The, like those pay-per-view eras because yeah. in all of that, Bobby and Gorilla were like a team on challenge. Yeah. So it's basically 80s Gorilla and Jesse, 90s Gorilla and Brain. Yeah. And they're both good teams. Uh, we talked about Brain and Jesse already, but don't sleep on Gorilla who made the whole thing work. Now, Gorilla's style is different from many people that we've talked about. Like, yeah. literally most people we've talked about. I don't know anybody about. like Gorilla Monsoon on, on commentary. Oh, he was unique because, you know, and he doesn't get enough credit for how good he was at calling matches, especially in the 80s. Yeah. He was really good at calling play-by-play. Nice go-behind by Barrio. Tight waistline. Nice crotch switch by Mike. Oh, beautiful single leg trip takes it down, but how quick, how quick Barrio is getting to his feet. Mike in for the ride. Nicely proud. Drops down in front over the top rotundo. Oh, another nicely proud. Look, he's happy. The thing I liked about Gorilla is that of all this, like these number one announcers, like a Gordon or JR and all that, like guys that are like, these guys are the company kind of people. Right. Maybe even Cole, I guess, is another one. Yeah. But Gorilla was the most conversational of all of them. This is true. In my head, when I watch a match with Gorilla Monsoon, on commentary. Sure. Well, yes, he'll call the moves to a certain extent. To a, to a degree, right. Um, not Maybe not as much as, you know, people like JR or something. Not as much as anyone down south. Right. But on the other hand, Gorilla gives me a feeling like I'm in a conversation, that I'm sitting on the couch with Gorilla, and that he's, you know, maybe talking about other things right. in between the if moves. If he gets bored. Yeah. It, not in a, like, wasting my time kind of way, but it just kind of all flows together. It's... It's like an intangible. I can't describe exactly what that feeling is because it's a feeling, right? right? It's a feeling that I'm there. So many guys have gone to this hold of late in the last four or five years, Lord. It's a, it, it's kind of a rest hold for the offensive man. Yes. But the defensive man is paying the price of holding all that weight. One of the things Gorilla did, too, that JR and Gordon Soley and Lance Russell couldn't do is he would interject his opinions from a wrestling background. Right. And some people get irritated, but, you know, should have hooked the leg, never going to get him that way. Never seen anyone pin with a side headlock. You have to apply this hold this way. This guy's doing it wrong. He'd even shit on a move that, like, isn't that good. Somebody went for, like, a pin with it, and he's like, you never get him with that. And I think people don't like that, but I think that adds to the realism of it. Right. To me, it's like, this guy's an ex-wrestler, so yeah. he knows like what it takes to finish a guy off. Right. Like on the other hand, he could put over a headlock because he would say something like, 
it, once you start cut, cutting off the blood to Doesn't the head. Doesn't take long for the lights to go out, your yeah, lordship. Yeah, exactly. You know, stuff like that. Like, because uh, it has the reverse effect on the holds that people don't like, like the rest holds, right? right yes. Like, where he's like, well, you know, there's a reason behind that because, yep. you know, maybe he'll be weakened and <laughs> right. then you can, like, pin him afterwards. Or, like, if someone's doing leg work, he'll be like, putting the pressure on the collateral lateral ligaments there, you could end a career that way. You yeah. know, like, just, that is good to me. Jerking that subscapularis muscle right out of there in a hurry. What muscle was that? Subscapularis. You know the little wing you have in the back there? Oh, being, yes. That well, that's is, that's yeah. your scapula. Uh-huh. And it's a subscapularis oh, that I runs see. underneath that. He was very blunt on commentary while also doing the hyperbole that was necessary for the WWF. He did both. He had the the dry deadpan style yeah. of like a JR mm-hmm. or somebody like that or Gordon and he would seriously call the matches but when it was time to crank up the PR machine he did that too. And I think that's a lot of 80s gorilla if we're segmenting this yes. and him and Jesse, right? Is like oh, that, very. it was very like the wrestler's experience heavy awesome. like look at the product. And Jesse would just kind of like egg him on with like, well, when I was wrestling, I would do this. And Gorilla was like, well, when I was wrestling yeah. before that time, and maybe, <laughs> maybe he wouldn't do that. Or, you know, you know like, but Absolutely. They, they would kind of argue these points of like mm-hmm. the new versus the old style of wrestling because Jesse was more recently retired. Yeah. Sometimes Jesse would say, it was like, remember when you were wrestling in the 30s just to like egg <laughs> yeah, him on? Just to egg him on. Yeah, like stuff like that. And then obviously, when it comes to comedy, he held his own with Bobby the Brain Heenan. I mean, they were such a funny duo. Yeah, so the relationship there was different. It was that Bobby was a manager who he wrestled, but you were supposed to, as a fan, think Bobby's never wrestled. Right. They, they, he, he, he would say he wrestled, yeah. but you know, like. But he was a pain in the ass. That was the whole point. He was a pain point. in the ass. And so these two get paired on primetime, and yep, I don't challenge. know if we can count that because technically it's not called. No, but you can count challenge. Yeah. And they did the same and they type would, of banter. They would call matches some of these MSG shows on primetime. Yeah, they did MSG shows together. They did pay-per-views together. Right. But so this relationship now is the opposite. It's the guy who says he knows a lot about wrestling but doesn't really Yeah, versus Gorilla who's experienced and right. just... The brain, on the other hand, is just annoying the shit out of him the the whole whole time. And Gorilla's like, will you stop? And And that's that's like, to me, that's like the classic Gorilla Monsoon line, the will Will you you stop. stop. If you want to be fair to Flair, you gotta be fair and say that's a heck of a road. Only a man as fair as Flair would show up at WrestleMania. Will you stop? What are you talking about? Yell at me. And Gorilla, as an announcer, too, in the 90s, Obviously, was probably trying to get done with it by 93. Right. And when they brought him back occasionally on the main shows, and I'm talking like the two pay-per-views he did in 94, King of the Ring and Survivor Series, you can tell, especially after Joey died, you know, he was on Challenge sometimes into 95. His heart wasn't in it as much. However, we heard a bright spot with him recently where we did that Superstars, the UK Superstars from 97 where he's with Ray Rougeau, and he's still good. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to WWF Superstars. I'm Gorilla Monsoon being joined this week by the incompetent Raymond Rougeau. The thing is, he sounds more sarcastic. Yeah, well, like, he was old. He didn't care anymore. I know. And he, he's just, I don't know. It's still not the same. It's, it's not like, the same. You can just tell with Gorilla when he has his heart into it. Yeah, and he not, stopped by 93. Even like his, his sarcastic jokes, even when his heart was into it, are different than yeah. his sarcastic jokes when he's not into it. Because they just sound like, fuck this, basically. Yeah. Like, I know. I remember hearing some stuff that he did with Stan Lane on Coliseum in 95, and Gorilla just clearly doesn't care. I understand that the urn right now is in the possession of MIT for an MRI. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out what it's all about. Are you kidding, Tatanka? Give me a break. And then Gorilla, you know, uh, from what I understand, announced all the way until like early 99. 
Yeah. Which I cannot believe. And it's one day insane. we're going to get our hands on that stuff. On the- I, what Does anybody know what the last actual thing he called was? I don't, but I have heard that he referenced Owen Hart dying. So he was still doing it in like after May of 99. Holy shit. On UK Superstar. So if you have that, get it to us. Wow. I know that people are looking for it. We have sources. That's kind of crazy. But yeah, Gorilla Monsoon... Ugh. I, I almost feel like we're not even doing him justice. It's hard. In this, like, no, it's hard. In this like pre-rank, like, here's what Gorilla Monsoon is thing. It's it's just the little things with him that, that, it is. that really make him great. Like, there's stuff like, I don't know, like, when I when I watch WrestleMania 4 and, like, Demolitions Wrestling right. and, like, kind of nothing's going on. And, and <laughs> yeah. it's like, I, you know, I'm not sure, I those, outfits are legal, I'm not sure those outfits are legal. That whole little discussion. Right. It's the little things like that that, like, endear Gorilla to me. Sure. Like, for all time. It's just like, he's just talking about the, the show and what's yeah. going on. And it, it, he, nothing could be happening and he can make it seem entertaining. Make fun of someone's haircut. Yeah. Wardrobe. Yeah. He when, would just do these little when things. When you're watching this boring, when a, especially when a match is boring, that's when Gorilla always shined. Because he, he, he does. Because he made you forget about it. Like, yep. and then when the match was exciting, he'd be like, "Oh, look, look!" You See, know, that, like that's a fitting way to sum him up. Yeah. If it was boring, he'd make you forget that it was boring, and right. he'd still keep you engaged. And as a match caller, I think he's underrated as a play-by-play guy. He he didn't do it as much as the '80s turned into the '90s, but some of that mid '80s, like earlier Gorilla, and I'll probably dump some of it in. He could call a good freaking match, like the moves, the physical yeah. play-by-play. Nice high cross body by Davy Boy, but. You gotta hook something up in there on these big guys. A nice block there. Forearm uppercut. Look at this. Small package. Doesn't have that leg hook either. And to be fair to him, as far as um, I know, sometimes he w- some people complain about like, oh, he's not calling moves the right name or something. Not like, often like though. Side kick he'd use for a bunch of shit. A little thrust like, kick, reverse crescent kick. Yeah, like stuff like that. Johnny like, Polo called him on that one time. It was yeah. Funny. It, and to me, if you look at his peers, like a Gordon Soley, yeah, or even you know sometimes Jr. in the early days, he didn't know the fucking names of some of those moves because they were just like yeah. new, you know, right? New moves. It was harder for him, you know, right? Because but, he'd been in wrestling for forty years or whatever. But it's he, like, yeah, you know, like if there's new shit, sometimes he, you don't keep up anymore. Yeah, exactly. But he approaches play by play from a more psychological standpoint than a physical standpoint, which I really liked. Uh, overall, Gorilla, before we rank here. He had an authoritative style, authoritative style about him. Yes, but he was also very engaging. Like you said, I wouldn't call him um, folksy, but he was yeah. still comforting. He was folksy in a city slicker sense. Like, yeah, that, urban folk, oh, right? urban folk. Yeah, <laughs> urban folk. And I thought he uh, he was awesome, and we'll we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But Quinn, right now it's ranking time. We oh, gotta. Wow. Run them down real quick, starting at number one, Bobby Heenan, two, Jesse Ventura, three, Tony Schiavone, four, Lance Russell, five, Vince McMahon, six, Joey Styles, seven, Jerry Lawyer, eight, Mauro Ranallo, nine, Mike Tanay, and ten, Bob Caudle. For J.R. Quinn, I think, just for the sake of argument, let's stack him up against Lance Russell. I was going to say the same thing. Okay, uh, because thinking same wavelength there. Yeah, I think it's fair to yeah. both men that we do that. Yep. They're both good at calling a match. Great. I mean, there's yeah. no... They might be equal in terms of match calling. Match calling, yes. Their um, ability is played by play now, men. You know, a lot of people... Here's the thing with Lance Russell. Yeah. A lot of people like to say how, you know, that he was good in his time or whatever. And he was good at all times, though. I... He was good. I just I think Jr. was better at like the, that entertainment aspect and the storylines and all that. Maybe Lance Russell. Lance Russell has this like 
all this stuff is going on and he cares, but I just don't, I don't remember him caring as much as JR. Like, JR just seemed like he was hanging on every fucking thing that was going on. That's a fair point. JR really emotionally got invested, and as a result, he got people invested. Right. Now, from a, again, from a technical standpoint, I'd say they're equal. Right. Maybe Russell's even better technically, but, you know, maybe not by much. JR also modified his style when he went to WWE and became more entertainment. Here's the thing is if JR had stuck around in WCW, who knows, he might have become like the technical wizard. You might have been the new Mike tonight. Yeah. Or the old Mike tonight. Old cheese voice. I'll say this to make it as clear as I can for you fans there. Old barbecue breath. (laughs) Barbecue hat. Yeah. If JR had stopped in 1993 and didn't evolve his style. Oh, he'd be much lower on this list. He'd be like, even if he kept going, but just didn't evolve his style, like he stayed in WCW, like you said. Yeah, he'd be lower than Lance Russell. However, he had like a second career as the Attitude Era guy. I think he had two careers in one. Yeah, if you ask me. So I would hop him above Russell because of the length. Well, no, I mean Russell had a long career, but the legacy, the impact, yep. the soundtrack of the Monday Night Wars, and because he's good. Yeah, <laughs> like all of that. I mean, I think the thing that in all those things that that elevates him above a lot of people is soundtrack of the Monday Night Wars. Like, yeah. And that to me, again, that's what carried Shivani over Russell to me. Right. Is that is that again, that's he was the other side. of. And now if we compare Shivani and Jr., perfect. which is a perfect like dovetail into that. Yeah. Like. Shivani and JR were the contemporaries. They, they were, you know, going head to head against each other yep. every week. And, you know, they're not be, the same. They're not the same. And to be fair, there'd be weeks where I thought maybe Shivani was better than JR and JR was better than Shivani. But that's how a war is. It's tit for tat, right? Usually tat, but sometimes tit. Yeah. On WWF anyway, there was tit. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. I mean, uh, thank you. No, but in all seriousness, JR and Shivani were different, but they were both important at what, like, they were both crucial, I think, yeah. to their respective shows and promotions. Mm-hmm. I think I prefer, but preference isn't science. Yeah. I prefer JR's style. Yeah. And like I said, I'm more of just uh, on any given Sunday, or in this case, any given Monday. Ding. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, with, with those two, is that I really thought that, like, they felt like if you change from channel to channel, I didn't feel like there was any loss in quality between the two i agree to a degree i think i think shivani it's a different style it the is two of them. but th- they, but there was no loss in quality quality wise probably not yeah. i think jr was less uh obtrusive in his hyperbole than shivani was i think shivani was more on the nose about hyping things and jr was more subtle about it yeah um but you're i think you're also emphasizing that because shivani's catchphrase was the greatest night in the history of our yeah, sport on the nose that's what i'm talking about yeah but i'm just saying if you beyond Shivani saying that in between the matches. Yeah. He was really just kind of conversationally talking he with was. brain and stuff about what was going on. He was. Like, it almost sounded like that Sh- Shivani would open anytime you came back from commercial. It was the biggest night in the history of our sport, but then right. it would just go back into regular like commentary. You know what I mean? Sure. And they were both good at making things yeah. feel important. Right. But I have to say, JR really made stuff feel important. Shivani yeah. tried, yeah. he was good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Match calling, I think JR is a little better. I do think also JR better. had a little bit better stuff to work with. Not to, not to say Shivani. That's not Shivani's it, fault. It's not Shivani's fault either, but also not to say Shivani had horrible shit to work with. It was just JR got it. JR's was a little bit better. That's all. JR's was a little bit better. Yeah. yeah. I think 
It's tough. I mean, they're both really good. But I didn't think we'd hit uh, a, a problem here with Shivani and Jared, but that's interesting to me. I, yeah, I don't think it's much of a problem, though, Quinn, because I, I can't see where Tony Shivani is better than JR. Let me put it that way. Yeah, I can't see where I can he's only actually see better. Places where Shivani is equal to Jr. Correct, but not better. I think Jr. had the more important career. I yeah, think the, look, I think what 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 Jr.'s got in his favor, and ultimately it was the product, the, and the product going beyond two thousand one. Like, that, I mean? but also Jr. I think is just better overall. Better. He's a slight cut above most people. If they want to probably be like an announcer. It's going to be Jr. versus Tony Schiavone. Yeah, right. They're going to pick Jr. To be fair to Schiavone, I'll just just before we pass him because I yep. think Jr. passes him too. I, I, yeah. Um, I think that Schiavone is kind of written out of history a lot. I I think it's an unfair thing to him. Is WWE yeah. doesn't really talk about him. No, they don't. And you know what? I think that our ranking, which is by no means definitive, it is scientific, but it's not definitive. I think our ranking of Schiavone as high as it is is good because most people probably wouldn't place him that high yeah as an announcer well, because I there think, isn't a lot of emphasis put on him these days i just want to say this and this isn't me trying to like toot a horn or anything don't toot but the fact that we're talking at length right now that jr and shivani yeah are, i think that proves that shivani maybe does belong where he does like that's, that's yeah right below lance russell would be fine with me mm-hmm, but <laughs> no but i know quinn you're right like the fact that there's enough stuff to like compare shivani and jr that says something it does i still think jr is a little better and i think you agree that we're yeah, gonna hop I, him? I agree that he okay. edges him out especially because the legacy and like just yeah. doing it doing it longer out of like his circumstance really right although shivani might have done it just as long if you count him go he was commentating before jr shivani yeah but not by much yeah now, when it comes to Brain and Ventura, I think if JR is better than one, he's better than both. Yes. And yes. I think that if he's not, then he's not. Now, I, this is where the whole color thing is going to be a handicap here. The color and the commentation. Yeah. I think that Jim Ross, despite how great these two men are on color, Jim Ross is still the better wrestling announcer. Plain and simple than Brain or Ventura. Yeah. There's just no way around that. Right. He, despite the function, he's just better. Does that make sense? Like, he literally is just a better broadcaster. That's more, true. A more natural feel for it. And JR could do color, too, by the way. And he did. Right. JR did do color, and he's good at it. Mm-hmm. It's a, like he knows what he's doing. He's just an all around better broadcaster. I don't know how else to expound upon that. He just is a better broadcaster. Well, the people we're talking about here, too, were wrestlers first. Yeah. Or, you know, performers first. Yeah. And um, commentators second. Whereas JR, a guy like JR was, that was, that was his first career. Yeah. I mean, he was a referee and then an announcer, right? He really knew what he was doing. Let's put it that way. And and that, and that like, (laughs) yeah, that that puts him above these guys. Cause a lot of times with Jesse and brain, while they were quick witted and fast and stuff, they would, they would make errors, you know, they would make errors and they just weren't all around. Yeah. good the way JR is. Does right. that make sense? Just all when around. When you get this high up on the list, you really start nitpicking. You have to. Like, you it, have to. And I don't think JR made any of the same mistakes as these people did. Although, I will say, uh, JR was poor during that whole, like, when they brought him in as a heel or whatever the hell that was with the fake razor and stuff. Yeah, he was annoying there, but he was supposed to be. He also got kind of crappy by the mid-2000s. Yeah. But everyone... For the most part, people do decline. Except I think, Lance Russell. Well, here's the thing: is what we've seen with all of these. The only person that 
I will say didn't is brain. And even when, because I say, yeah. when, well, you well, caring. what I say about brain though is, and this was the thing we said when we did this, yeah. is when we were talking about this is that even shitty brain was like miles ahead of a lot of people. That's true, Quinn. Like that's, he's one of the rare people you can say that about. That's true. Because he was just always off the cuff remarks about yeah. like everything. Well, here's the thing. Like, brain made it to the top here probably because of his entertainment value. Oh, right? yeah. Quick-witted, very entertaining. I would say this. I would say this. I would say Brain is more entertaining than JR. Possibly. Hmm. That's interesting that you say possibly. Funnier. Funnier. Yeah. Funnier than anyone on this list. I don't think Brain, while at times we we gave him some credit for calling things, I don't think he was that good at it. But also, I don't think his character permitted him to, to do that either. But I think JR is just the best broadcaster on this list so far. Yeah. Plain and simple. The I'll go best wrestling announcer on the list. So he's the best of all time, right? This second. Yes, right? he is. But now we have to deal with Gorilla Monsoon. Okay. How the hell <laughs> do we do that? Oh, boy. Maybe we just start at Lance Russell again. Okay. Why since don't we? we? Since we've kind of established some kind of rarefied air. <laughs> well, if we're... Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Lance Russell. How do we do that? <laughs> well... <laughs> Again, see, here's the here's the thing that's going to ultimately, I'm just going to cut to the chase with, the, yeah. with this one so we're not re-litigating anything. Yeah, please. Um, Gorilla called WrestleMania 3 and shit like that. Like, and Yeah, and, I know. And all this stuff. And like Lance Russell was calling Memphis or whatever. Yeah, like, but is, I, is Lance Russell a better match caller than Gorilla? I, I say he is. Yeah. I, but I, I also don't think I also don't think Gorilla was that was really his job. His job wasn't to call moves as much as it was to call. I hate to use a cliche, but to tell stories. Yeah, and but he did it his way. No one ever That's announced thing, like Gorilla Monsoon. Unique. Just as if Lance Russell was unique, how he called he his was. matches. But he was Gorilla. Gorilla, whatever he was tasked with, he did it his way and. Personally, I just like Gorilla's way better. Like, yeah, I know. We try to keep personal bias out of this, but you're right. I do too. Here's the thing. Gorilla Monsoon could also be pretty bad at times, Quinn. And I have to be fair. I have to be fair. By himself, he's terrible. Whereas Lance Russell's good. But I also don't want to act like Lance Russell was 100% of the time good either. There's times when I watch him and it just seems like another week and just whatever. Yeah, but the same goes for Gorilla sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I don't don't think it's like a moot point. It's like they they have their ups and downs. Right, they both do. That's what happens when you call fucking a million matches a year. I think Gorilla Monsoon sometimes is a little too detached. What do you mean by that? Well, you know how Jim Ross is emotional about everything? Right. I think Gorilla Monsoon sometimes is not. To me, though, that's part of his charm. Is that All right. And I'm going to say this, is that Gorilla had a knack for recognizing when something was boring and like kind of ad- talk- kind of admitting it right kind of admitting it and talking about like something else like pat patterson's fat or something <laughs> like you know what i mean like but like that to me that's always the that's the charm of gorilla monsoon that he'll find something right to like you know talk about and make it entertaining do you think that it's a credit to gorilla monsoon that he was evidently the only person vince mcmahon trusted behind besides himself for, to do all these okay, big shows. For a guy as picky as Vince McMahon is about how his product sounds and looks, yep. it's quite remarkable that he trusted Gorilla Monsoon as much as he did. I mean, you can tell Gorilla has zero direction that it's up to him, pal. Like yeah. it, it like you could tell Vince day one said, 
do whatever the fuck you want. Like besides like, like hyper specific talking points, you know, yeah. like very occasionally. Like yeah, put I think, over um this yes, Tuesday in Texas correct, or correct, something right. or a hot ticket. But as far as match calling, I don't think Vince interfered with a hot ticket. Yeah. I don't. Think- I mean, that, that, to me, that's the always yeah. the biggest example of hot gorilla ticket. calling something that he doesn't give a shit about, but like acting like it's a big deal. Witness the greatest WrestleMania is one yeah. through six. Hot ticket. And that's the that's the that's like the boilerplate example of like manufactured gorilla that 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 calling like that pay-per-view thing we should review hot ticket one day well once we get it is a (laughs) pay-per-view so maybe we'll have to get to that uh so are you trying to say though that gorilla is just better than lance russell because he worked for new york and because he called the wrestlemanias and all that stuff and had the catchphrases people people hate that i mean sorry i think think it matters how many people see you i i really think that's a that's a factor and lance russell you have to admit He's high ranked for a guy that just called Memphis and like WCW that, briefly and WCW briefly. Like, can we please acknowledge that? That's true. Like, Lance Russell might be the highest he could be for a regional guy for, for the most reg- part. Yes. Now, for the record, folks, if we were doing a list of strictly technical ability, Russell's near the top, if not the top. Right. But we're not. <laughs> That's not what we're doing. Yeah. Um, Gorilla Monsoon. Let me put it this way. He called WrestleMania's one through nine. He did innumerable amounts of house shows, syndicated shows, Coliseum video exclusives, primetime exclusives. He was their voice. He was their guy. And he, Gorilla Monsoon's turns of phrase influenced the way fans talk to yeah. this day. I That is a good point. I mean, I think a lot of things that you and me gleaned as children yes. from Gorilla Monsoon. But it's not just you and me. Have stuck with us. It's hundreds of thousands of people. The breadbasket. Will you stop? Yeah. External occipital protuberance. Yeah. All these things and many more that I can't even think of. I only of. know that that's the back of the head because of uh, Gorilla Monsoon and, there, yeah. and, and Jess discussing it. Now, does that put him also above Shivani? Yeah. I, <laughs> without question. I mean, I love Shivani, but the thing is, is that Gorilla was just at all times, better than him. You really think so? It, and probably to Shivani's, um, Shivani would admit it. Like that's they work together, you know. And true. And it, it always came off to me that Gorilla was, you know, calling the shots. And, well, he was mentoring him yeah, in the exactly. WWF style. Now Shivani's damn good. I think Gorilla. Man, I'm trying to think of a way to to verbalize this. I love listening to both, but I think I'd rather listen to Gorilla Monsoon. I yeah. think Gorilla Monsoon's style, his cadence, the way he can turn something boring, and Shivani can do it too. Him and Brain, and and Gorilla and Brain, it feels like it feels comfortable. Like, Absolutely, right? like it, yes. I think that's I think that's something we can give Shivani credit. I will give him credit there. The he fact was great he, with Bobby Heenan. The fact that he can match that Gorilla feel. Yep. But here's the thing: is he never could exceed that Gorilla feel. True, and he was also good with Ventura, but not as good as yeah, yeah, Gorilla was. Yeah, Shivani, if anything, was a terrific stand-in for Gorilla. Yeah, I mean that's one way to look at it. He was, uh, he was damn good. I'll edge Gorilla above him. I'm trying to keep my personal preferences out of this as much as I can. Yeah, but I, I can put him above Tony Shivani because of the magnitude of his career as an announcer. It's right. bigger than Tony Shivani's. Yep. So that leaves now, us. Here comes the easy jump for Gorilla. Uh, the Jesse, same way, JR. Jesse and, it's unfortunate, but it's true. It's the same there, thing, right? The, the thing is, what I'm finding interesting is like Shivani and Russell, they're good, right? But they're like 
stand-ins for guys like Gorilla and uh, Soli and stuff. Maybe. Like, however, however, they can't exceed these iconic color partners. You think so? Just because those two are irreplaceable? Right. They're like the other part of the equation, right? And if they're the stand-in for the straight man, like if they're the if they're right. like the just a notch below the top straight man, then it makes sense and that's what helps propel Gorilla above Brain and yeah, Jess. I think so too. I think Gorilla, in the same way that I said it about JR, I think Gorilla is just a better all around broadcaster. It's close though, because I mean, Brain's good and Jesse's good, but yeah. Gorilla is more. I would never think of, of Brain being better than Gorilla, but I would always think of Gorilla being better than Brain and the same and with Jess. Jesse. Now, in another world, it's totally possible that the color could exceed the commentary. The you know color, I mean? the color could exceed the commentation. Yes, yes. No, it's possible. It is that's and and we've seen examples of like that, like with Brain exceeding Shivani or absolutely or Lance and Ventura. I just think when again we're talking about upper upper echelon when push comes to shove, the 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 commentator will exceed the best right. color. Would the eighties WWF boom have been the same without Gorilla Monsoon behind? No, Mike? he's irreplaceable. And so is and JR. I can, but I can't say that about Jesse or Brain because they, they replaced, replaced each other. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? In two promotions. Right. So it's JR and Gorilla for the top spot. Right. How do we do this? Because they're both absolutely irreplaceable. They're I think both... it comes down to era preference at that point. <laughs> really? Is yes. that all it is, huh? JR's well, the better. Hang on. JR's the better announcer. Fair. Fair. He is. But JR doesn't provide me with the same comfort that Gorilla does. Okay, I get, um, I, I, I get it. Now, Jr. He would have his little spats with King, and those are charming. I, I really, I really yes. think that. No, I agree. Jr. and King are great, but Gorilla um, with Bobby. But and Gorilla Jess. did it with two different people. Like right, and Jr. Well, Jr. did too with Paul Heyman. Yeah, Jr. did too. Yeah. Here's the thing: mm. they both called really big, important shit too. They did. I mean, so like, would you? That's a wash. JR yeah. called the Attitude mm. Era and the Austin and this the girl called like the Hogan Jesse Era. And Bobby all over again. R- right. This is really hard. I think we agree that Jim Ross is a better match caller, though. That's fair. But, but is I, that all? It's I mean, it's so close I and really they're so different. I when I watch JR, as much as I love him, I don't feel as at home as I do with Girl Monsoon. And I think there's that's not just a me thing. I think that's a quality of how he announces. Like how I mentioned before about how Gorilla, that conversational style really makes you feel like you're sitting on the couch with him and not like he's not some removed guy. JR sounds like he's a drunken guy yelling from the bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he actually points. sounds like a scary like person. Like maybe you might not want to run into him yeah. and watch wrestling with him because he'd go a little too far. For some reason, I find Gorilla to be more genuine than JR, whereas JR. There's I some, don't know. there's some, no, JR's genuine as fuck. That's not, but I just find Gorilla a little more genuine. Like, there's times when I feel like JR is intentional. It's not as, it's not as masked as, as Gorilla. Maybe. Where Gorilla just feels like this is the guy that you're watching wrestling with um, genuine reaction. And I don't really see the veil um, open or, <sighs> or, you know, crack open a little bit. Like, I, I, I don't, I see it less with Gorilla. With Gorilla, though, like I said, it comes down to the emotional investment part. JR really drew people in. He did. Does Gorilla do the same? I don't know. But at the same- I think he does to this day. You see millions of clips on Twitter, and he's been dead for 
20 years just like just about yeah like i mean yeah. really like that, that that that's a legacy thing at that point they both had catchphrases they both relied on hyperbole they were both over the top so that's a wash gorilla had an outside the booth thing going on too with primetime and people really got to know him he felt like your father depending on depending on how old you were he yeah. felt like either your father or grandfather they both like, had backstage clout yeah they're so similar even though their styles are different they're so similar their styles yep. are different. They both dropped off at the end of the era, like yep. Gorilla post 93, JR post around 02. Yep. They both dropped off. So they both declined. So they're equal there. I think decline is something that we're going we're gonna to see that we, I think we have already seen in every single person. Just about. I, Other than Mamma Mia, because he hasn't, he's not old yet. But. Right. They both declined, though. They both dropped off, which is natural. It's such a tough choice because they're both really, really good and in different ways because again jr with the play-by-play and the emotion gorilla with the experience yeah the experience of watching gorilla and either whether it's lord shit or polo or ventura i would say this about gorilla bobby what gorilla does seem more dynamic to me as far as you could put him with anybody Johnny polo i mean that's an odd pairing if there was any stan lane ted DiBiase. Yeah, I mean he's Red Bastine. I didn't even know what that is. But, <laughs> I, I, but, Johnny V. Yeah, Ernie Ladd. But yeah. Jr. Two was good with a bunch of different people. Ah, uh, yeah, but Jr. Wasn't as dynamic. I don't think. Like, here's an example when he went to J uh, New Japan or whatever. Yeah, but come like, on, Quinn. I'm just saying, even Gorilla. He's old there. Yeah, but no, even, no, even when no. Gorilla's old, you throw him with anybody. I mean, he's fucking doing great commentary with Ray Rougeau. Yeah, like, I guess, but I don't want to use how those. How is as... this match, Gorilla? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to use those as benchmarks, though, for either man. For I'm just Gorilla saying. Or JR. Remember the microscope? Yeah, when we I had know. Bob... No. Well, I have my lab coat on. Yeah. My goggles. Remember when we're comparing these two? It's like. They're so equal. You have to look at the, the those factors. Well, why don't we check the results here? I'll see what I come up with. You you check. Okay, I'm gonna check my microscope. Okay. It's gorilla monsoon by yeah. like a, a microbe. Yeah, I, just because of his overall it even, legacy. It, it looks like it's even closer than brain and Jesse. It is. It, no, it is. I measured it. It, it is right. You can yeah. see. Um, it's about um one nanometer. Yeah, I think. It's only because of his legacy. That's what my result shows. He has yeah. a little bit more legacy than JR. Yeah, I mean, you could just look at the internet and Google search or whatever, and the legacy of Girl Monsoon is much wider and broader than yeah. JR's is. And that's not even like... That's not even, a shot at JR. But here's the thing is, we can't even say that because of like, oh, Gorilla's been not around longer because right. JR's hasn't been commentating regularly for at least a decade now. Like, yeah, regularly, right. Like, so it's like, okay, <laughs> like I think we can fairly compare the legacies at this point. Yeah, I think Gorilla, for, for me, it just comes down to legacy. He's more yeah. fond, a little more fondly remembered and a little more uh, of timeless than yeah. JR. Thank God we had those microscopes. That's really, we could have been here all day. We could have. All right, that's it. We have it. It's rounded out. We only got two more for next week, but as of now, folks... Why don't we do the updated rankings as of week nine? Oh, my goodness gracious here. This is getting crazy. Wow. At number one, history is made. Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah. Number two, though, a very close number yeah. two, Jim Ross. By God. He's the best in all of high school. That's it. <laughs> number three, Bobby Heenan. Four, Jesse Ventura. Five, Shiavoni. Six, Lance Russell. 
Seven, Vic McMahon. Wow, Vic is up there. <laughs> Eight, Joey Styles. Nine, sliding down is Jerry the King Lawler. Wow, cheese breaths out. <laughs> yes, ten is Mauro Ranallo. And then the bottom, Mike Cheesebreath today. <laughs> Bob Caudle, Paul Heyman, Taz, Michael Coe, Lord Al, Sean Mooney, and Jim Cornette. What a list. That is the Royal Rankings as of week nine, folks. Let us know yours. You can do that on the Twitter. You can email us or do what everyone else is doing and join the group. But when we come back, we've got to go down to Florida. We'll be doing that right after this. I was not welcome with open arms in WWE by uh, a, a vast majority of the people that worked at the TV facility. People would walk, you know, they didn't want to engage in conversation. They didn't, you know, they were rude. They cold shoulder. Uh, I was part of the enemy, even though I was working for them. So Monsoon, God bless him, saw that and saw that I had done nothing to any of these people. I didn't, a lot of them I didn't even know. And he had a little come to Jesus meeting with him one day, and, and they edit one suite and pretty well uh, read him the riot act. He was disappointed in all of them. And if you didn't like this guy, who's a lifer and he's been, he loves the business, then you don't need to associate with me either. And that carried a lot of weight in that TV facility because Gorilla was, he was God over there because everybody loved him, and rightfully so. Uh, he was like a big uncle, father, grandfather. He was just such a wonderful man. You're listening to our vantage point for Retro Wrestling Podcast, the fastest growing weekly episodic retro wrestling audio podcast in the world. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast, here on episode number 119. 119! Thank you, Quinn. Quinn, before we review something, I just wanted to shout out a few other wrestling podcasts that exist that aren't hosted by Conrad Thompson. No Blazers involved in these. Thank God. Yeah, I know. Here's one for you. You can check it out right after us because it comes out every single Monday. It is called The Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, WPAN. It is hosted by two guys, Quinn, that have actually worked in the wrestling business. Unlike us, you know, we're members of the wrestling media. Press, yeah, press time. We're in the press time. Uh, but these guys, one of them is an independent wrestling referee that is currently on an extended hiatus, and his name is and me and Mike Crockett. Yes, he's yeah, retired. <laughs> no, he is retired. I need to interject there. No, you're right. You have to Don't maintain... spread these fallacies. <laughs> to maintain journalistic integrity. The retired referee, Mike Crockett, and his partner is not retired. He just signed with Ring of Honor. His name is the Kingpin Brian Malonis Quinn. The Wine City Whaler. That's right. I'm That's excited right. for him. So here's the thing is, he didn't sign as Wine City Whaler, so if he loses a career match... Yeah, he can yeah. always come back as the whaler. It sits in his back pocket. That's you know? right. And put this show in your back pocket and listen to it, because it's really cool. They bring their perspective as guys that have worked in the business, but also are wrestling fans. And they'll do some interviews with people sometimes, their reflections on good and bad in pro wrestling's past and present. It's a wrestling podcast about nothing. Check it out. And also check out, on Thursdays, do not miss the critically acclaimed Golden Globe Award winning... <laughs> It's greetings from Allentown, GF Allentown. It's hosted by one very quirky man. His name is Peter Winson. Little baby Petey. Who would have thought, Quinn, like you said last week, that a baby could have a podcast? But here I he is. I couldn't believe it when I saw him at the Golden Globe a couple weeks ago <laughs> yeah. or whatever. It's like, who would have ever guessed, I right? know. You'll go gaga for this podcast, yeah. folks. It's a one-man show, and what he does is he'll review an old episode of wrestling, ostensibly anyway. And what he'll do while he reviews it is he'll talk about other things. His cat. How to, how to give a cat medicine, obviously, right. when it's sick. <laughs> Ron Kittle. Yeah, a uh, lot of Ron Kittle over lot, there. A lot of hockey. 
a lot of hockey, some alcohol talk. It's a great time. A lot of uh, Lowell Arena or whatever. Yeah, Lowell, whatever that Lowell is. Massachusetts uh, Auditorium or whatever. Yeah. It is greetings from downtown. Check it out on Thursdays. And also, if you like your professional wrestling with a John Deere hat and a side of grits, and a side of grits. I only show up for the grits. <laughs> That's what I'm there for. Check out booking the territory with Mike Mills and his crew because what they do is they go south. That Mason Dixon there line, and they review the NWA Crockett period of time, and they also review Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and they are the unprofessional wrestling podcast. That's real classy. That's right. It's booking the territory. So check out our three friends of the show, the wrestling podcast about nothing, G F Allentown, and booking the territory. But Quinn, we're going to do some uh, NWA ourselves right now. Uh, National Wrestling Alliance. That's right, uh, Florida style. <laughs> Florida style. Now this is a promotion. Believe it or not, in all the reviews we've done since episode eleven. We have not done this promotion. Amazing. I know, isn't it? It really is. I feel like we've covered everything. Well, I mean, we did Japan. We've we've here. been to Japan. This is Championship Wrestling from Florida, March 29th, 86. Quick background on this promotion. It was an NWA promotion for most of its uh, history, and it was founded by, well, it wasn't founded by Eddie Graham, but by the early 60s, it was Eddie Graham's promotion. He uh, unfortunately passed away in 1985, about a year before this. Now, now Joseph, isn't this promotion strongly associated with Dusty Rhodes? Yes, it is. Michael. Dusty Rhodes made a big splash here in the mid-70s until the early 80s before mainly working full-time for Jim Crockett promotions in the Carolinas. I signed with Crockett around the time of the first Starcade. In fact, they actually referenced that. Yes, they do. Like they say, like, he's recently full-time with us now. Yep. Now, as this was an NWA territory, there's a lot of talent exchange, and sometimes they would bring in people from another NWA oh, territory. there's a lot of people that are Jim Crockett related on this yep, show. People um, that would either go to Crockett or had been there in before. Fact, they're even talking about title matches that might take place yeah. on Crockett show. Right. It's almost like mixed together. It is. And this promotion, actually, Quinn, is pretty much on its last legs here. It closed down in 1987. And now, now was it purchased by anybody? Like, is that how it officially ended? Did like Jim Crockett, when he was buying a million companies, like, <laughs> were, they, did, were they in his path? It merged with Crockett in early '87. Okay, You're there right. you go. Then it was somewhat revived by Mike Graham, who never drew a dime, or said Jeff Jarrett never well, did. Well, he's the guy who said Jeff Yes. He, he enlightened all he, of us. He told us all his, about his it. His closed eyes face right. will forever live on with us. <laughs> he he uh, somewhat revived it as Florida Championship Wrestling. I with, commend him for that. With Steve Kern, yeah. believe it or not. Skinner. Yep, Skinner. And that actually morphed into WWF's old developmental Florida Championship it's Wrestling. It's weird how this Florida thing, and even to this day, WWF did a Florida championship wrestling at one point that yep. they like owned. And then this is going to sound really weird, but in a weird way, a NXT, roundabout way, in a very roundabout way, NXT is essentially the successor promotion. You could like, say that actually. And in, in somewhat of in, a, in a, in a sense, yes, somewhat that in OVW. Uh, so let's go to championship wrestling from Florida from March 29th, 86. So this is around the time of WWF putting on WrestleMania two, just for context in the two big promotions, NWA right. and WWF. So we had a rather bold intro here as we see clips of Jesse Barr scuffling with Lex Luger. Yeah. Very funky yeah. rock music. <laughs> it was a bold intro. Yeah, it, was very, like, <laughs> it was just kind of fighting though. Yeah. It, was, it was like with the title <laughs> cry on over it or whatever. Yeah. So the voiceover announcer introduces us, Quinn, and these are his words to the award-winning voice of championship wrestling as chosen by the Florida Sportscasters okay. Association. Before we even say his name, I don't like any time you hype <laughs> the announcer with this much bullshit. Why? Like, because this was like a paragraph about like <laughs> how good he is, the, the exalted one, his his royal highness, Gino Cuddy's the big supporter here. It's Gordon Suplay, Quinn. 
And now, the award-winning voice of championship wrestling is chosen by the Florida Sportscasters Association, Gordon Soley. Listen, I respect Gordon, but do you? Do we need <laughs> I think the award-winning voice of championship wrestling as chosen by the Florida Sportscasters Association? Like, do we need to know all that? He won the award, Quinn. I don't give a shit. Is he calling the matches or not? Yeah. Okay, then say, <laughs> here's your host, Gordon C. What, what, is that so hard? They don't Sorry. say, like, they don't go, calling the matches, uh, PWI's uh, number one uh, wrestler, JR. Like, they don't say that when the WWE turns on. Calling the announcer the five-time Wrestling Observer worst announcer, Gorilla Monster. Right, exactly. Like, we don't... <laughs> we don't need all this. It, it's it's insane. I, I As soon as it, this happened, I literally, oh. like... This is the kind of thing with Gordon that always bothers me. He's like, good, Quinn. It's just a he reference. He didn't do it. He yeah. didn't make them do it. Bob Backlund reference <sighs> over here. Anyway, Mr. Sully talks about this raging Jesse Barr Lex Luger feud, and he's joined by Buddy Colt this week at the desk, or desk, yeah, I should very, say. Very lispy. And Buddy, uh, some great action tonight uh, in Lakeland. You bet there is. You know what you just saw there on the uh, video screen? I noticed, Quinn, that the Cryon, for some reason, it reminded me of, like, the Sports Channel. It's kind of like the Sports Channel, like, AWA's was on ESPN. right. Something about it, like, italic with lines and stuff. You know what I mean? I think there's really only so much Cryon you could get in 1986. Like, there was, like, you choose from these five templates. (laughs) Like, that's basically what you have to choose from. So we're at the Florida Sportatorium, and I just want to mention that is not to be confused with the Dallas Sportatorium. This Sportatorium... Yeah, why, why is there more than one sportatorium at all very good point this was a tiny little facility that held about 100 people just for the record okay mm-hmm. it's not like the dallas but anyway. so it's like when we used to go to roh and it was like a hockey rink yeah. but like it was like a rec facility a youth civic rec facility so, yeah but quinn who's gonna be in action so, tonight guess what everyone this is huge we've never covered this uh area the Bahamas champion will be in action. Oh, right. I'm excited. I never knew that existed until Why? I watched this. I How many know. wrestlers could there possibly be on a tiny <laughs> island? Like, five? <laughs> Like, like I'm serious. Like, how? What is the? Is there a line out the door? I know that a lot of people live on the Bahamas. Like, it's yeah, actually of course. like it's actually got it's a populated. higher pop population than I would ever expect because I've looked it up before. Bit higher than several states in the U.S. Yeah, I anyway. think there's like a there's at least over a thousand people yeah that wow <laughs> no but i'm saying for because it's so tiny yes. that's what i mean it's like that's kind of actually remarkable now i wonder how many drinks in gordon is here because he was a notorious drinker it depends how far we are into the taping session good point gordon hypes the new youngster ricky santana as we go to the ring to introduce ricky santana versus dennis sour that's his name I, was it sour sour sour, sour. Yeah, I, I i never could what you know that guy's name has the name jobber written all over really it. Like, your last name's sour <laughs> now i don't know who the ring announcer is but we cut right away to commercial before even starting the match. And then we come back, we start the match. Gordon's already awesome, though, on play-by-play. I'm not going to lie. As Santana unloads with hip tosses like the other Santana yeah. that we know about. He looks like Ricky Steamboat and Tito Santana had a baby. He actually like, kind of does. He, he reminds does, me of both. I does, thought the same thing. That's exactly what he is, right? He really, he looks like Ricky Steamboat and Tito Santana, who are both very, very good. Santana fires him off, but Sauer catches him with a good shoulder smash. Santana drops to the canvas. It's Santana. Good high hip toss and sour. Moves right back in on him, bringing up a full body slam. The referee looks to be a very young Bill Alfonso as Santana works the arm into an overhead suplex. Dennis Sauer looks like he came in fourth place in a Matt Bourne lookalike contest. This guy's just <laughs> dirty looking. Dennis Sauer sucks. <laughs> He's bad. Yeah. And then Gordon mentions that Santana is of Cuban extraction. Gordon makes some comment about how Santana couldn't get paid in Cuba. It's like this big, like, 
anti-communism <laughs> rant and it, something like they own the the feds or i like what the fuck is he talking well, is why the, is this uh, this is unnecessary but isn't this like you know this is 1986 when this is when xenophobia and anti-commies and all that this yeah, was but he's fine. also like injecting his like politics into well, it. i don't really like that fidel castro there. yeah it was just <laughs> bizarre like a thing that didn't feel like it belonged in a in this <laughs> you know quinn as we have more arm work, I wonder if uh, Dennis Sauer has a partner named Larry Gory. Sauer and Gory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Back ankle sweep by Santana as a guy yells boring. Body slam wow. gets two for Ricky. Santana feels like the dude they think will get over, but everyone knows he <laughs> won't make it big. Like, you know what I mean. Fair point. Like, it's like every guy who was in the first match on yeah. the WWF event up to like 1988 or something. I think he was like in his own little small areas that he wrestled like he was a respected mid-carter and that's about as good as he got i don't think yep. he ever broke out anywhere <laughs> still working the arm maybe that's why as uh the announcing is fantastic by the way by gordon not so much for that's buddy Cole. yeah uh, irish whip by sour hip toss by ricky gets two back to the arm buddy colt does sound like renee young commentary he's like dennis sour if not a slouch you know now dennis sour is not a slouch sour has been in the arm bar longer than gordon was in the regular bar earlier and then he does confirm that yes the referee is bill alfonso and that he's good he's a good referee yeah big right hands by santana flying jalapeno yes i'm serious into an ed's inside step over high back bridge pin see gordon knows the moves inside step over high back bridge and sour was down for the count I also like that the crowd kind of boos Santana. <laughs> They're not impressed. That. Like, what What a big face. Like, no one cares. No one cares. This guy sucked. Like, he's not very good. He's just armbar city. <laughs> he really is. Ugh. To the announce desk where Lex Luger with stubble comes over to bitch about how Barry Windham shouldn't be the number one contender for the NWA world title. Luger is the TV and the Southern champion. He's only got one belt. He only has one. I think it's confusing. a Southern. Yeah. yeah. And he feels that he should be the number one contender, but Gordon's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, Luger Quinn he looks awesome here, like a real star. And he sounds different, right, than he did he, in the 90s? He has a bit of a southern accent from what yeah. I what I detected. And it was, like, very slight. The reason I'm out here right now is throughout the arenas in Florida here, there's a misunderstanding. Barry Windham has been introduced as the number one contender of the world title. It's quite obvious I'm the champion. I'm the best wrestler in this part of the country or anywhere in the country for that matter. But, yeah, his voice is more laid back. Is yeah. that what it is? Because, you know, 90s Luger's like, ah, ah, you yeah. know, that's what I hear. He sounds distressed all the time. See you June 13th, Bobby. Yeah. Uh, Gordon says they'll be back in 120 seconds. Right after we pause for 120 seconds. We're back. That was very exact, <laughs> yeah. actually. I was glad. I, I like that. I do like that, too. Uh, a point for Gordon. <laughs> yep. In the ring, Luger's introduced. He rips his white shirt off. His opponent is from parts unknown. It's the Marauder. It's like an idiot. Like... <laughs> There's a lot of mask on this show too. Yeah. There's as much mask as there is Bahamas. Yeah, there. <laughs> Luger attacks before the bell, but the Marauder fights back as Barry Windham appears at ringside. Fonzie, still the ref. Yeah, not that Fonzie. We don't like him. Yep. him <laughs> no, Warrior no not that one. Of that crap. Bill Fonzie. Yeah. Uh, Luger's TV title is not on the line tonight, by the way. Or it is on the line, I should say. Excuse me. Lex bails and the Marauder follows him as Gordon says that uh, he saw two Marauders and he wasn't sure if the camera picked it up. And then one of them just wanders over to the desk and unmasks. And it's Jesse Barr. This was so confusing, Joe. Let me first say this. Yes. Uh, Jesse Barr looks like someone's grandma with that haircut. <laughs> Second of all, he just randomly says there's two. I never saw two. But they never show two. No. And my, like, sensors were, like, overloaded at yeah, this point. Yeah, I didn't point. get like, what was going I was, on. I was like, there was all these people. Like, yeah, Barry Windham. Barry Windham's there. And they're like, there's two Marauders, but I only see one. Yeah. And, 
this was it was weird, right? Poorly handled. Let's put it that way. You know, I think Jesse Barr looks more like a combination of both Roseanne and Dan Connor myself, <laughs> if that's possible. That's incredible, actually. <laughs> Jesse Barr says Luger has some egg on his face, uh, better than milk, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Wyndham and Barr practically nudge each other about that one. They're like, oh, that was a good one. I think they're so good. I know. Too. Gordon's all happy. He's like, oh, very good, very good. We go to break. We come back with Barry Wyndham still at the desk, but now Kendall's <sighs> with him. Well, rap is new, so they don't hate that yet. West, <laughs> West Texas rednecks over yeah, here. That's true. Like it's Two Kendall, of them are there. Kendall and Barry Windham. Yeah, they the were future in it. Mr. Perfect ain't there to <laughs> bitch and moan about that too. Kendall looks like absolute shit. Like in his highlighter oh yellow polo, his ramen hair. Did you notice there was like wind in their hair too? <laughs> yeah, what was, was that about? Fan? Like, was it the air conditioning unit they, above what them? What are they like Farrah Fawcett? <laughs> More like Leaky Fawcett. Thank you. Uh, Gordon asked Kendall about his Florida title defense against the Ninja. Kendall says no. Nothing good. No telling where he's been trained or who's trained him, but I tell you, he's, he's got he's one of the most impressive wrestlers I've seen around here. It's going to be a tough match. He looks like he's four years old and he sucks at oh talking. Oh my god! Oh, like, he's I I don't know. I think I, I'm going to win. Like, what the fuck are you saying? Dude, what is just this? Get out of here! I know. Like, I'm glad we don't see him again. <laughs> he's he's not good. Yeah. Barry now bitches about Oliver Humperdinck managing Kendo Nagasaki and the Ninja. Apparently, Kendo hit Barry with a Kendo stick, so we see a helpful clip of that. So. Is it called the Kendo Stick because it's Kendo Nagasaki's? I'm I'm actually like starting to think this hmm. because throughout this show they keep emphasizing like over and over the again Kendo that stick, Kendo right? Nagasaki uses the Kendo Stick. They do. Do you? And I. This is pretty early for a Kendo Stick being even mentioned. Eighty six. Yeah. Do you think? Maybe that's where the name comes from. Does anyone know? That might make sense because I, there doesn't seem to really be a reason why it's called a kendo stick. So it was his stick and it just took his name, I guess. Like this yeah. is the thing that he carried and they eventually called it and a just kendo stick. And it just became like a, is that a colloquial term? Yeah, like, colloquial. Whatever. Parochial school. Parochial school <laughs> term. But like, I still don't know what a parochial school is. but I don't know. I think it's some church or whatever. So fun fact, Kendo Nagasaki once beat Jim Duggan on a Coliseum video, what? I think it was World Tour 91, in like a minute with a knee to the gut. What year was this? Like 91. Speedy into the midsection. There's a kick right to the throat of Exxon. Jim Duggan going in for a cover here. Oh. Anyway, Gordon Gordon gets bored and changes the subject, and he brings up Luger's claim from earlier about the number one contendership. So Wyndham says, Wyndham's like, well, you have to earn that shit. Sorry. And then they leave. Yeah. See, this is the problem with Barry and all these Wyndhams is they're just not. What are they like? They're just happy blonde kids. Like, yes. I don't like get what they are. They're Nikki and Alex from Full House. OK, that's oh, wow. What that's a That's a reference right there. <laughs> well, anyway, Gordon says the Kendo. So man. see, 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 see? <laughs> it, maybe it's true. <laughs> Let's go to the ring for J.J. Ryder versus Kendo Nagasaki, who has with him the ninja and Oliver Humperdinck. Uh, Fonzie is still the ref. And by the way, how is the ninja a ninja with no mask? Yeah, that's true. And also, I was thinking this. I lo- keep looking. I was like, looking closely at the ninja is that muda he had the same haircut and everything really yeah like and oh, I, he did have muda's hair you don't see much of him yeah he's there for like two seconds and i, I swear that that was great muda with just like as a youngster because you know 86 what? he would have been like brand new actually he might have been going by his real name in japan right at that point muto yeah i don't know if that's i don't think that's him quinn but look, it's look very similar it looks it. similar yeah Nagasaki has like Peter Boyle's hairstyle 
from everybody who loves Raymond. <laughs> Karate kick as Oliver Humperdinck wanders <laughs> over to the commentary table. I just I just put that together, <laughs> by you. the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you got <laughs> David Van Antwerp as somebody put a side by side. That is a great fucking comparison right there. Now, as Humberdink is on commentary, I will say this one thing about him. He's already better than he is in the WWF because he's not on screen at least this time yeah, looking like King I Koopa. <laughs> I don't need to look at him, so that's definitely a fucking advantage right there. Yeah, then Humperdink says that Nagasaki is the master of the Oriental arts, not martial. Humper shit over here says Kendo is good. He looks like utter shit. Horrible. Like I said, Peter Boyle fucking just stomping and like he's got just the like physique of Peter Boyle. Fucking back slaps and yeah, like it's terrible like t- shitty punches. No, like, it's true. Wait, they keep calling it wrestling, and I'm like, what are you talking about? It sucks balls. Like it's literally the standard boring heel offense. You know, the body slam, the stomp, the choke. Maybe he trained nails. It looks more like. And, and if anything, if it, you, they keep calling it wrestling, but if anything, it's more martial arts because there's like kicks and stuff. You could have at least just used that blanket it's, term that like Gorilla says when it's like kicks and yeah, shit. When, when it's a jobber or it's a guy beating up a jobber doing nothing. Yeah. Anyway, junkie kick by Kendo gets the win. It was really <laughs> so shitty. horrible. Ugh. Now Humperdinck gives Kendo the Kendo, so Kendo shoves JD, JJ Ryder, chokes him. A lot of Kendo. A it's lot very, of Kendo. It's actually like very confusing to commentate. It's like oh, and Kendo uses the Kendo <laughs> stick, but and that oh, he's hitting him. With with that kendo afterwards they're gonna go play some ninkendo thank you nagasaki, nagasaki threatens fonzie too much fonzie <laughs> before walloping rider just gonna have to keep inserting in like an ultimate warrior has the best ultimate victory or whatever he says. <laughs> that impression is amazing yeah. gordon hypes the nwa wrestling in miami beach freeport bahamas nassau bahamas fort bahamas yeah, and Fort Pierce uh, matches in Miami will include Lex Luger versus Barry Windham, where the winner will face face the NWA Win- champion Ric Flair. The winner won't even have a match in this company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be like, a like, it's like, the winner faces Ric Flair. Don't watch that here. Just turn on WCW. Right. Ricky Santana pops in to say he's here because the competition is stiff. <clears throat> and then says stuff in Spanish, including miércoles. I guess he's talking about something kind of. I, I don't know what Wednesday. any of that means. Sorry. Well, don't worry, Quinn. Tyree Pride, the Bahamas champion, comes in to cut some confusing ass promo on Jerry Gray about a rooster or something. What? The rooster. I know everybody remember him as a rooster, brother. I'm coming down to Miami. Who cares? I like that there's actually a belt. <laughs> yeah. It's not like a coat or anything yeah. like Dino Bravo's, the Canadian. You know all that I'm yeah. talking about. Oh, shit. And then he says something, and I guess Bahamian or whatever the language is. Bahamian, would it be? Bahamian. Like, is that, I actually, like, honestly don't know if there's a separate language for the Bahamas. There is. Like, no, there is. Okay. I think there is, anyway. But I don't know. It's like, papu, papapana. And then Gordon's like, well, thank you so much. Yeah. And then this is the best thing. We throw to Oliver Humperdinck who redeems everything I've ever said about him because he's like, Humba Humba, who cares? <laughs> humba Humba, who cares? Now, I'm okay. sorry, it's wrong, but I it was know, funny. Like, yeah, nowadays that would not be okay. It was just funny and the, it caught me off he guard. He said it really fast and he didn't like harp on it. No. So it was like just enough like well, like mocking him. Let's but, be like, honest, not, like I didn't understand what the guy was saying. Yeah, That's any he, language. Here's the thing is even when he spoke English, it was, yeah, it was yeah, a that's struggle I mean. to understand what he was saying. It's true. Anyway, Dink here is with his <laughs> Japanese team as Kendo practices shots with a stick. He, he acts all annoying and fat and just <laughs> basically says as men will win in Miami, yeah. blah blah, like you know, like typical shit, typical like nothing really shit. of note. No low rent heel promo. Yeah. 
Anyway, we throw to Lex Luger now, who has more of a beard now than he did earlier, so this must be a pre-tape or a post-tape. Good, good for him. Yeah. He says he's going to kick Barry Windham's ass, basically. I will say this, though, Quinn. The subtle, understated way that, especially Luger, maybe not Barry, they're making me care about the match, but Barry Windham, not so much. Luger, definitely, but it's just short to the point. No bullshit. It's just uh, classic, I'm better than you type of thing. I guess, I don't know, just Luger... He seems, like, pretty generic, though, overall. He looks good, though. It's a guy with a wife beater and a bandana and stuff. You can like, walk down the street in Lakeland, Florida and find plenty yeah. of those. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's nothing... I guess there's nothing special about him. No, but he just looks kind of cool. He's got the look. I'll give him that. He sounds different, too, like yeah. we were saying. He really does. He does. Now, Barry Windham's back at the fucking desk again. How much of Barry Windham do we have to deal with I don't with know, today? Quinn. Like, it's not good. It's a lot. Like, I don't mind him too much. I like him. But if I see him 14 fucking times yeah. in, like, 15 minutes, right. I'm going to get kind of bored. Right. And basically, he's only there to say that he's going to beat Luger. Now, the fabulous ones wander in, and they talk about how good they are. Stan Lane kind of looks awesome. Sunglasses, stubble. Steve Kern looks like... Skinner. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he is Skinner, so he should look like him. I love that Vince McMahon probably took, like, one or two looks at this guy, and he's like, ah, fuck it, make him an outdoor slob from the Everglades. Yeah, he probably you know? said in his interview, I worked in Florida Championship Wrestling yeah, right. before, and Vince is like, I got it! Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna hunt the alligators, yeah. uh, Lane references Miami Vice and also says Japs, yep, because... I'm, I- 1986. He said it, not not us. No, not us. Doink2 says the bottom word instead of the bottom line, which yeah. I thought was funny. Back to Gordon and Buddy, who hype up the nightmares. Ugh, old shit face yeah, again. Yeah, like, Danny Davis. And- literally like the glob of shit on his face. <laughs> yeah. Now, Tyree Pride comes back in with a plane ticket to the Bahamas so, for Gordon. Was that... May I ask you a question? Was that a plane ticket yes. or was it a, a travel brochure for the Bahamas? Th- because it looked like a travel brochure. I thought it was a brochure until I heard him say, I have a ticket for you well, or whatever. Well, he said ticket, but... Was it actually he, a ticket? Yes. The thing he handed him just said Bahamas like, on it. Visit like, the Bahamas. Yes. That type like, of thing? It did not look like a plane ticket. It didn't say like United Airlines <laughs> or Pan Am or whatever the hell would be the airline back then. Was Pan Am still around back then? I think they were around until 1990 or okay, something. Fair enough. So much Bahamas on the show, though, Quinn. Yeah, like a lot of Bahamas. Too much Bahamas. Bermuda, Bahama, come on, pretty mama. Pride oh, that of- was a popular song, man. <laughs> yeah, Remember when the Beach Boys were on Full House? It was stop, around this time. Stop it. Don't bring that up. Des- deserted Island It's not or the same episode. Yeah, cool. No, they played in the LA Coliseum. What are you talking about? What? Uh, Pride, unfortunately, doesn't go away just yet. He keeps rambling about how he has a lot of traveling to do. Pride takes a hard fall, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he then speaks in Bahama Mama or whatever again before going up to the ring. His opponent is the mysterious Dr. Death. No, no, not Steve Williams. Wait, there's two? I guess so. There's more than one Dr. Death? This Come guy, on! This guy looks just like the Marauder. Yeah. Like, it's literally the he same might generic be mask. the Marauder. <laughs> Apparently, Tyree Pride is actually Haitian. So, wait, what? He was speaking Haitian, but he's the Bahamas champion. Oh, okay. And he's known, Quinn, not only as the Haitian sensation, but he has another stupid nickname. Yeah, the Terrible T. <laughs> That's what the announcer said. Terrible T. What the fuck? That's this horrible. guy stinks. <laughs> He's horrible. Pride with a quick start, a bunch of head scissor takedowns, lateral press gets two. Gordon, still awesome. He very quickly gets a side headlock into a hip lock takedown. Dr. Death got him into a uh, head scissors and Tyree Pride right back after him again. Pride slugs away with rights. Atomic drop by Pride gets two. I will say this feels exactly like a match on the old WCW show. Like, you yeah. Know, Kind of people going, fast paced and hip yeah. tosses and yeah. shit. 
Nothing remarkable yeah, about nothing the sky, remarkable, though. Yeah, nothing remarkable, but... Fast-paced babyface offense. I guess it keeps you watching. It keeps you going. More rights. Irish whip reverse, but probably leaps up top and hits a somersault press for the win. Not bad. I hope we don't have to see any more <sighs> of, of the Bohemian title <laughs> the today. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. We go to break and come back with Buddy Colt and the fabulous one. Uh, Skinner <laughs> is holding a trophy for the Spirit Award. Apparently... In the memory of Eddie Graham, the fabulous ones go around the hospitals and they visit sick children. So, okay, that's nice. Very nice. Very nice. Stanley talks about how he thought the Japanese guys were going to run him off the road because he saw Toyotas and Subarus <sighs> behind him. Like, why is he being a fucking racist? It's, well, Florida. It's Florida. And it's I was going to say, it's Florida. It's the 80s. I don't know what you're... <laughs> Yeah, why I'm surprised. Yeah, you're right. For no real reason. We get a clip of Humperdinck heckling the fabulous ones at some match recently. Bill Alfonso was also the ref here, too. Is that the only ref that they have in this promotion? Holy shit. He's literally every match. Seriously. So Kern admits that the pressure is on now. Because when they first came into this promotion, he literally says this. They were taking it easy and only wrestling the underneath teams, meaning jobbers. Lane brings up the nightmares again. How long is this interview, Joe? It's about to end, and then Stan Lane had to interrupt and bring up the nightmares yeah, the again. Hell? Like, what the fuck? Buddy Colt was this wrapping been going it up. on for like six minutes at this point. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, so this is interesting. Buddy throws to a nightmares promo. Yeah, this gets weirder in kind of a good way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this they should have just went to this immediately. I know. This is called a day in the life of the, of the nightmares, which is funny. Oh, my God. It opens with an alarm clock. It's 10, 19 a.m. Jeez, I wake up when you do. Clark. What do you mean? <laughs> I know. We see them putting on their masks. They're still masked at this point, not face yes. paint. And then playing a boombox as we hear some music and we get clips of their entrance interspersed with hot action of putting on socks. <laughs> I love. Well, I guess Mel Phillips would approve. The, just, the, the, the clips were like random, like putting on socks, putting on pants. Pat Patterson would yeah, approve. It's like, it's like so stupid. <laughs> them having masks, though, doesn't make them any better, by the way. No. They dance with kids in the street, but they're also diving off cages and they're, they're driving matching Lincoln Town cars. <laughs> <laughs> that was so ridiculous because nothing says rock and roll like Lincoln Town cars. I know, right? Like, what the fuck? Why aren't they driving like I don't know Ferraris, Porsches, Corvettes, like Camaros? Yeah, like what? Like, take that, your pick, Firebirds, big gigantic boat cars. Yeah, like, they look like old like men. Yeah, yeah, exactly, like old men going to the buffet on Wearing the Sunshine masks. Skyway Bridge. Idiots. The music part ends, and then the nightmares get out of their matching cars in their masks. And no shirts. And they hug. Seriously, what is this? I don't know. It's so weird. Now we get a different song in the background as handsome women wave to them on the beach. They're Probably s- just their, like, friends yeah. or something. Or, like, the guy's wives or something. <laughs> and there's, like, fireworks in the background on the border of the video as the music sounds yeah. like low-rent queen. Like, it looks like the all-American intro for a second. With it the, does. Like, the squares. Yeah. With the, with the, with the border. American shit in the yeah. background. Yeah. We get credits, Quinn, to end the video, which yeah. is very funny. So, by the way, if you looked closely, all the credits say, like, this is done by this colon, but there's nothing. Yeah. And, and, then, the, it, and then at the very end, it says the nightmares in big capital letters like they did everything. Right. So kind of funny, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, back to the fabulous ones and Buddy. Yes, they're still there. There's uh, more. There's <laughs> more. Stan this Lee. has been 10 minutes of interview. <laughs> Stanley's kind of funny. He's like. He makes fun of how late they woke up. He's like, we're up at 7 a.m., so fuck you. And he also makes fun of their 1973 Good, somebody needed to yeah. do that. Yeah, so it was a funny thing. Yeah, it's at least 25% of the show, though. Like, it True. was ridiculous. So, guys, we're going to drive around in your 1973 Lincoln Town cars. Big deal. We're not impressed. Back to the ring to introduce Kevin Sullivan in blue sweatpants. Yes. No, and I must emphasize sweatpants. Literal sweatpants. Like, actual sweatpants. Not just tights that look like it. And Luna is with him. Yes, the Luna. 
shorter hair. Yeah, shorter hair. And the purple haze. Oh, God. Oh, no. Joe. Yeah. You want to know who he is? Yeah. It's fucking Mark Lewin. It's Mark Lewin. I think I complained about this on, like, the... Any other like, thing. On yeah. something, I said, oh, is Mark Lewin somehow going right, to be right. fucking involved? Yes. I, and I should never have said that, because... You summoned like, him. They cursed this. <laughs> you summoned the purple We didn't haze. know this. No. And they even tried to... It's like the tape was almost trying to disguise it from us. They didn't. <laughs> they don't say Mark Lewin, but no. you look at him, it's Mark Lewin. It's you Mark look Lewin. online... It's Mark Lewin. Mar- purple Haze was a Mark Lewin thing. <laughs> Can't escape this How guy. the fuck is this guy on everything? <laughs> I don't know, and he's not even good either. Honestly. But their opponents here are the fabulous ones. Yeah, the Jimmy Snooka trunks. Yeah, like, literally. True. Like, true. the actual same trunks. Steve Allen's wife's underwear. Yep. One fall, TV time remaining. Good. Gordon, this will sell out uh, an auditorium anywhere. An auditorium. At least he's honest. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> shitty. Yeah, exactly. Lane and Sullivan start, kicked by Lane quick tag to Kern. Kern pulls Sullivan's pants down and gets a two count. Well, he, they mm-hmm. are pretty saggy. <laughs> Bill Alfonso, still the ref. Uh, Sullivan tosses Kern through the ropes and Purple Haze tosses him back in while choking him. And then, uh, Lewin comes in and does the dreaded neck massage of doom. Wonderful. <laughs> Gordon's like, well, he learned the Oriental secrets. Mark Lewin is shit. He's horrible. Uh, he needs to <laughs> never be on anything we watch. I'm fine with that. You know he's just going to show up next <laughs> <Yes>. week somehow. <laughs> like, if we did something from the 90s, he'd somehow appear. Well, he did on freaking uh, whatever it was, I know, High Risk. Watch, the, watch, there's like some episode of like WCW from 1998, no. and he's like wrestling in a Saturday night or something. Not going to happen. Young Luna here has hair like Bebop. Yeah, that's the best way to describe it. Twelve Not cowboy Bebop. No, regular the, Bebop. The Bebop Turtles. of Turtles fame. <laughs> Twelve stomps in a row by Lewin before he tags up to Sullivan. Sullivan looks like he's been awake since 6.30 a.m., read his New York Times, and now he's ready to mow the lawn. The way he looks, <laughs> he's seriously. so casual. Yeah, it's amazing. Really I, is that supposed to like feed into his like he's evil thing or whatever? Or lazy? Yeah, I crazy. Don't know. I don't know. Well, what if it you is. make him look crazy, you can also say he's evil. I guess possibly. Yeah. Belly to back suit play by Sullivan tagged to Lewin. Lane tags him too, but Fonzie didn't see it. Double clothesline by the heels gets two for Lewin. Sullivan back in again. The lawn is now mowed, and he's ready for his eleven thirty a.m. liverwurst sandwich here. As Lane goes the fuck outside and tussles with Lewin while Kern stomps down Sullivan. Luna up on the apron, but Kern punches her. Yeah, that was random. And then Bob Roop. Yeah. First of all, Bob Roop. Yeah. First of all, Bob Roop. <laughs> Second of all, Mike Hager run in. Yeah, not the guy from Final Fight. No, no, a no, different no. Mike Hager. And then uh, Kendo and Ninja run in, and then the Wyndham's and Gordon's like, ah, this shit's out of control. Our time is up so Get long. Get the fuck out of here. Honestly, Quinn, I have pretty much zero problems with this show. It's a fun show, but like too many promos. Too many promos. Like, yeah, it was most of the show was just talking. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the ring announcer, I find out only in the credits, his name was Jay Goodley. Wonderful. So now we know. But yeah, great. So that was a slice of the latter period of Championship Wrestling for Florida. It would only be around for another ten months or so, eleven months. It was okay. Thrilling, yeah. It would have been better, probably, if we had picked one where... And this is my fault, because I picked this one, but it probably would have been better if we did one where Dusty was still there. So, overall, what did you think? One Definitely not one of the worst things. It was okay. Not one of the worst. It was fun. It was very ho-hum. Like, I yeah. think that's the best way I could describe it. Yeah, but it was... I liked Gordon a real lot. He kept it moving. in it, so... Yeah, but yeah, it I also had Lex Luger. Yeah, the... the, the f- the nightmares thingy was funny. The nightmares thing was fun. Uh, Luger was good. I liked seeing him. Yeah. It was okay. It wasn't yeah. a bad show. I don't know much about this period of time for this promotion, but it's post Dusty, 
Yeah, it sounded it's, like it was in the process of getting merged yeah, in Crockett. honestly, so maybe there's something to be said for that. But folks, if you have something to say, be sure to check us out on Twitter at OVP Podcast. You can also email us at OVPPodcast at gmail.com. Join the group. If you have a Facebook, go ahead and join it. It'll be fun, we promise. A lot of, a lot of fun stuff there. And if you want to donate, or at least check it out, go to Patreon.com slash Podcast. And if you have iTunes or Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. We'd really appreciate that. But until next week, Quinn, it's finale time. We will be back next week for 120 as we finalize the Royal Rankings. We'll be doing a final downfall, yep. and we'll be reviewing something that's coming up next week, the first show of March. Until that time, I'm Joe Murata. That's Michael Quinn, and we are out of here. See ya. You know, you talk about Miami, Florida, go to talk about a hot city. It's real hot, a hot bit of wrestling. They got one of the hottest shows on TV every Friday night if we're off here watching Miami Vice. Well, brother, it's not going to be Miami Vice this time. It's not going to be even Miami Nice because the fabs are hot. We've been jumped. We've been backstabbed every chance those Japs get. Obviously, they don't want us to make the trip to New Orleans for that tournament, guys. Well, you just show up in Miami because you're going to find out just how tough the fabs can be. You know, I think it all boils down to jealousy, envy, and greed. And when you talk about those situations, you're talking about Sir Oliver Humperdinck. Let me tell you something, Rooster. You just keep bringing them teams, and you just keep trying to get the job done. Because the bottom word is try. What? 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 What?